Episode 235 of the Bitcoin Podcast. I am your first host, Marcello. And I'm host number two, Demetric Demteric. Demteric. I'm host number three, Dr. Corey Petty. Can't say it like that. I can. I can say it that way. I'm going to start saying it that way from now on. If you say it like that, nobody's going to think you're a real doctor. People already don't think I'm a real doctor. What does it matter? (laughs) You should all just be doctors. Dr. Cello, Dr. D. No, we'll call can't, ourselves the can't doctors. Do that. <laughs> I feel like if you have an associate's degree, you should still get a title. Associate? Associate. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why he calls themselves associates. I feel like I would rather be called a master than a doctor. So. Yeah. Really? Uh, I would too. That sounds way better. Yeah. I'd rather people be called a People don't think I'm going to give them CPR or like save somebody and give them like that. What is that? Laren- like that, when you when you shove a pin through someone's throat to save them from breathing and choking. What's that called? Ooh. Either way, Murder. people people don't think I don't want people to assume that I can do that because I'm a doctor. Well, if you don't know oh, what it's called, about- they're not going to assume. <laughs> <laughs> you're talking about when you got to pierce the trachea. Yeah, tracheotomy. Cut a slit in that trachea. tracheotomy, and then you put a pipe in there so people can breathe. Yeah. You know? Hey guys, we're uh, we didn't talk about this last show, but we're part of the my crypto winter, and I'm sending out a big box of books. To uh, people who can win prizes. Yeah. Jordan will be making sweet gift boxes of the winners at the end of the month. So if you follow winter.mycrypto.com, yesterday was our sweet, sweet sponsored uh, tip of the month, which was basically redo all your passwords, don't reuse your passwords, use a password manager, and use randomly generated passwords that are long. And... uh, Stop being stupid with your passwords. And if you don't win, you can go on Amazon. You can just, you know, if you just go on Amazon and you type in describe Bitcoin, it'll pop up. But the full title is Can You Describe Bitcoin, Ethereum, Blockchain? And there is a promo on there $5 off your purchase of $20 or more. So basically, if you buy two books, you get five bucks off. So go get it. You you can just Google or Amazon describe Bitcoin. What if you Google it? I'm going to try it. I'm going to go mute. I don't know if we're there yet because it hasn't been up there long. Like I know a few people have left reviews of the book and those reviews haven't been posted yet. So there's a little lag on it. Michelle Obama said you guys should go out and get this book over her book. And that's a quote actually. So we'll put, we'll put it on Twitter. That's a good quote. Yeah. It it wasn't extreme or anything. She just said, Hey, go out and get this book. It's better than mine. Yeah. If you just say type, describe Bitcoin and Amazon, that's for the first book. Nice. And um, 
it doesn't work in Google yet, so let's wait. We'll get that. Our reviews haven't popped up. I was really hoping our reviews popped up because uh, some people who have purchased the book in the Slack have said they've given us reviews and they hope that we would read them. Yep. Yeah, so in due time. But the book is available. Oh, yeah. Do we so have to we have a tweet too? A hashtag? If you take a uh, picture of the book and put it on Twitter with the hashtag 10 words or less, we will see that and we will retweet you. And thank you. And thank you. <laughs> I feel like we should have a contest. Like, uh, yeah, we should. I might give a, like a, a one ETH away if you sign up for our Instagram, follow us on Twitter, buy the book, use the hashtag, join the Slack, do all those things. I'll put you in a pool and we'll give away one ETH. I haven't discussed yeah. that with my co-host yet, but yeah, you just did. We're, so, we're cool with that. Yeah, we're cool with that. Campaign time. We're running a campaign too. Yep. So, all right, guys, what's on the docket? What do we? What, what's going on in fucking crypto land that we need to talk about? Um, I think people are finally starting to buy back in right now. That's exciting. So? What makes? What gives you that impression? What Corey, what, Corey just said he was going to buy back in. Well, I'm not buying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not buying back in. I'm just adding more. Well, I mean back in because I think we've all taken a couple months off from buying crypto. Uh, yeah, but like, when we say buying yeah. back, that means somebody. So I guess I did sell at the top. So like yeah, you know, a lot of people dollar cost average. I think people are just like, oh shit, you know, ETH is at a price now where I can, I can get some skin in the game. It's at a good price. I wonder what it is about because I don't. For me, it's not necessarily the price. Maybe maybe it's like partially due to the price of of ETH and Bitcoin. Um, that's making me say like, yeah, now's about the time where it's it seems unreasonable for me not to buy things with the amount of like expendable income that I have. Right. Mm -hmm. I've kind of just been waiting to be like, I'll try, I'll try and maximize the amount of dollars that I have to spend on Bitcoin by waiting for the price to get to a point where I don't think it's going to go much, much lower. And I don't really watch the price that much, but I feel like it's casually been up and down around this area. And if it halves more than it does now, it's not that big of a difference. Like it's not that drastic of a change. What you're talking about is the risk is lower. Yeah. Ultimately, ultimately, that's the that's the idea. Like I feel like the upside is so much larger. I don't know. I I feel as though we could potentially get back to the like the prices they were at the beginning of the year. Um. And so if that's the case, then like, in terms of Ethereum, I'm more than fifteen x xing my money. Yeah, if it gets well, back to that price, there's a tool to help you make this decision. I've actually built one. I prefer it's to called... use my balls. Oh, okay. Yeah, just really make decisions from there. What do you scratch them first? Um, they tingle when they go. No, you know those like those like Chinese uh, balls. You like rotate in your hand. They make noises. Oh, those balls. Yeah, those. I oh. use. I use those. Okay, well, I've actually got those too. <laughs> Those, those, are, they actually exercise your hand and build coordination, and they're stress relievers too. What are they called? Chinese stress, stress balls. balls. Let's yeah. Google it. I'm gonna Google that while y'all keep talking. Um, yeah. So different balls for different calls, I guess. But <laughs> I, I would heavily recommend people look into building a, a tool. It's called the Sharp Ratio. Uh, you can actually graph it, and it'll show you your risk exposure. 
using the assets that you have uh and it'll it'll tell you just how much risk you have in the game and uh, it's a unique tool you can find all sorts of like when i say i built one it's not that big of a deal if you go on google and you google like sharp ratio um, there's a whole bunch of spreadsheets that'll show you you just copy and paste put your numbers in there and you'll know how much risk you're exposed to in the crypto market so do people want to know that I mean, you're supposed to know. You those should things. know that. I mean, if you consider this like an investment, you should probably <laughs> watch your investments. No, I mean, an idea like how it's any, any, anything further than going on Blockfolio and seeing how much you 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 invested at the price at the time and what the price is now, and then they give you a red percentage or a green percentage. What more do you need to know? I don't need spreadsheets and ratio risk inversions and all that. Why would someone want all that? People who Whoa. want more information about the performance of their portfolio as opposed to yeah, like the, you, the, the current state. You can see like there are derivatives of the current state or like trends based on times and the performance of previous states and projecting is a little rough because it's 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 assuming things are gonna keep performing the way they have, which isn't necessarily like that true. Anyway, more importantly, they're called bouting balls. <laughs> Or exercise Chinese exercise balls like Bao Ding. I'm sure there's like a Chinese pronunciation that I'm horribly butchering. Ba Ding. Bao Ding. Ba Bao Ding. B A O D I N G. Or Chinese medicine so, balls. Should we make like, TBP medicine balls? I would put them in the shop. TBP yes. medicine balls. Put them in the shop that doesn't exist. Yeah, that everyone keeps asking for for years that we actually have. It's just we haven't pushed like publish. Well, I just I just added another skew to that imaginary store. You're welcome. That's all for you, Miller. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, um, Cello, to answer your question, you need more than that because basically, when you're investing, you're measuring probabilities, and when you throw in risk. You throw in risk to say like, okay, if I'm at a really high risk of a low probability event occurring, why am I going to put money in that? What What's the point of putting money in that, right? And by assessing your risk, it teaches you how to rebalance your portfolio as well, right? So the reason the XRP army exists is because for relatively low risk, you're investing in this thing that seems like it has some finality to it. Like it's a nice shiny product. There's a bunch of nice shiny people in nice shiny suits getting up every day saying how nice the product is. So in the pink sheet game, it's a pretty solid bet. You've got a low risk, right? Cause it's at 30 cents. If it loses 50%, it's 15 cents. Big whoop. Yeah. But they also right? have this, this, I feel like a good portion of them have this feeling or like a, a more naive person who's investing in crypto feels that these 30 or 15 cent coins have the potential to get up to um, Bitcoin prices because Bitcoin did it at one point in its life. I think yeah. those days are over. Well, it's those it's, days are. Well, it has to do with like the, the the percentage of coins for the total that you own. And so like the, the reason why Bitcoin has more value than those things because there's only 21 million in existence, like 21 million full bitcoins in existence or and, and that will ever be in existence and yeah and so like when you own one bitcoin that's a what one millionth 
of one twenty one millionth of the total supply that will ever exist. And you can't say it's very difficult to say the same thing. When I own one ripple, that's like what one thirty trillionth of the total supply or whatever mm-hmm. it is. And so it's not the same. It'll always inherently one of that will always inherently have a smaller value. And mm-hmm. so one of that will never get up to the same prices that people think they are. I mean, most of them are some weird way bigger. What some you say, future Joe? that I don't see happening. I mean, you're just you're just describing supply and demand. But if the demand is way bigger to a, a coin that has a bigger marketing supply, that could offset some things too. Well, let's 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 look at like what the thing is supposed to be used for and the current market valuation of that thing it's trying to disrupt, right? Like like, like I I usually use like the cases for like uh, when ICOs would come out and be like, we're going to be the new dental coin everyone everyone in the dental industry is going to use our coin and then transact and so on and so forth etc etc revolutionize the dental industry um well if you look at how much the dental industry is across the entire space right the entire world and then that's going to be some x amount we'll just for a round number say it's a hundred billion dollars I have no idea if that's true or not we're just using the round numbers and you're going to say well we're going to disrupt this industry Okay, say you're, you t- you have 100% conversion from the traditional industry to your coin. That means that the total market cap of your coin can only, at its maximum, ever have $100 billion. And so depending on how many coins you have in your total supply, that's how much the f- one coin will cost, is $100 billion divided by whatever your total supply is. So if you think, so like, but that's not going to happen. You're probably going to get like, I don't know, at a maximum 25% of the total industry. I don't know what you're going to I don't know. I'm just making things up. But like, you make reasonable assessments on how much of that industry you're actually going to disrupt or take over. And then you divide that number by the total amount of coins that you actually have. And then that's how, that's how much a coin can maximally get to. But people think that, and, and so like that, and usually people do ICOs or evaluations and they and they shoot to project one coin being over that amount which is just it's not that's not how it works you cannot have a coin be viable more viable than the amount of like utility it gets unless it's pure speculation and then people are dumb and that's where you have like these massive sell-offs yeah and since a lot of this technology in its current state doesn't have the utility that we're like potentially hoping for in the future then the like it, all that price jumping was just pure speculation and people hoping i wish there were a way to measure the utility though if there's a utilitarian value and there's a speculative value of all these assets um then how do we measure the utility accurately like is it the net value transferred like willy woo has the nvt ratio Um, I don't know. Like that that's those are the things that we should probably be looking at. Or I, I like I, I I like the speculative nature. I don't like mapping everything out. Uh I, I like that there's like some doom and gloom, there's some hope. There's you like some, gambling? Yeah, I, I like that. Oh, I can buy an ETH right now at like 70 bucks and then one day it might be 1500. I don't need to map it out and say, "Oh, well, it's probably at the halvening in 2022 going to ripple effect here that." I don't like mapping stuff out. I'm the type of investor 
where I like hopes and, and dreams. You also like using your balls. Yes, not the Chinese kind. <laughs> the the lose my mortgage and my wife leaves me kind. <laughs> but I like I like that aspect of crypto. I don't like mapping every instant out. I don't like the willy woo charts and the crypto dog. Why? Speculative a stuff. lot of that stuff I'd say is like it's what people are trying to do is get as much information about what's yes. currently going on and they overdo it to a point of like not meaning anything because they're just drawing lines to reconfirm the bias they already have and then they ignore the things that go against it and a lot and a lot in a lot of ways smart people don't like uncertainty they have to have answers for everything like oh no we're not going to speculate we're going to map this shit out because i'm smart i gotta hate on smart people when when is becoming when is being smart a bad thing well he's a member of the anti-intellectualism crew they like the hates hate on smartness a i t a a a Okay. No, that's not. It's just like, you know, it's just like, you know, I, I'm I'm just throwing an example. Like, I'm not going to believe in God because there's you can't turn water into wine. There's probability and there's rationalism between everything. So that's just fairy tales and dust. There's reasoning behind everything. There's the Big Bang Theory, dinosaurs and blah, blah, blah. There's people that have to have concrete answers for everything and they can't leave things up to just judgments and speculation. Um, you don't have to even be smart for that. That's just a personality trait, I think. Well, then you can't claim to be right about things if you never have a rationalization behind the things you believe. You can just I just say, don't think that you can prove theory. right. There's no right or wrong with these. There you can't are, look at a willy woo chart and be like, oh, okay. Oh, there are well, certain things you can say that are clearly right. I think a lot of these charts are going far beyond that. And, and the people who are, in my opinion, the people who are really smart are saying that you can't know these things or like, it's, it's, it, that's why I say, we're so early and there's so much wild variation and I don't make bets on a lot of things or say guarantees on what's going to happen because I know enough to know that I can't know what's going to happen. There's not enough information to know to make that, to, to say what's right and what's wrong. Yeah. So I, I just think that like people are too scared to be wrong about stuff when I think like the more wise choice is to know what you can and can't be wrong about. It's okay to post a chart and make some predictions, quote unquote, or uh, some speculative assumptions about what the chart says. It's okay to be wrong there. It's just, it's a speculative asset. It's okay to be wrong. It's not okay to be wrong, though, if you are, say, I don't know, like the director of some crazy ass economic bureaucratic entity of a country. And you're looking and projecting the economic growth of your country for 30 years and you're trying to make a decision about a thing. You can't be wrong there. You can't you can't afford to be wrong. And so I think there's there's nothing wrong with looking at a Bitcoin chart and saying, like, OK, if X amount of people bought in here, then they'd be looking to take this amount of profit there. So, you know, in between here and there is probably a good time to sell. Like there's nothing, there's nothing okay with being wrong on the other end of that. I don't think. I mean, if, if your if your job is to buy and sell things so that you can make a profit, you should be doing more than just having gut feelings. You have, you have to have some reasoning to the, the people who buy into whatever your fund is, uh, so that they 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 give you money to do that. 
otherwise pe- people are never going to invest in you if you're just like well you know we just we just go by our gut and it's worked out so far because no one yeah, can like, say that like we were quoting <laughs> willy woo in the in the slack and some guy was like why are we listening to willy woo like what what's his what's his background no i was calling i was calling but Colin's yeah. a speculative person. I, I don't I'm a I don't, speculative skeptic skeptic skeptical person I'm just, yeah, you're right, D. Churchello. A lot of people go overboard, and there's no reason to listen to these people. It's just, in my opinion, just gather as much information as you can and make whatever decision you have based on your own your own knowledge. And if you don't want to do that, then have fun. You're gambling. Don't don't waste your money. Like, don't don't spend yeah. money you can't waste. If you're not doing that, then who cares? Yeah, we're we're buying protocols of finance upon which the future will be built upon. Like, that's super speculative. Yep. Considering there's people that already have protocols for finance and they have a lot of money. But they don't trade like an ordinary market, though. They trade like an adoption S-curve. What are you talking about? Oh, you're talking about crypto? Well, you're saying people, you know, buy protocols of finance all the time, but... I mean, people are posting charts like a traditional market and treating it as such, and it's not. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with that, too. You can't use, I mean, I've, I've written about this. You can't use, well, you can, but you can't solely define, you can't solely depend on traditional ways of evaluating this type of stuff because this stuff goes beyond. Um, it's beyond f- me. It's so like, it's, it's called like transcendent or it's more general. So like, um, if you develop a tool set to evaluate the financial sector, um, you, you do, you're doing so so that it covers like all of the constraints and, and rule sets of that of that sector, right? Um, so like with money, you you a lot of the like fundamental analysis, technical analysis of these things have been built and used and evaluated and changed and iterated over for that market, which hasn't changed. And then we create this like this new technology that goes beyond it includes all of the things associated with the financial market or most of it at least and then does a lot more stuff and so when you try and use that old tool set to evaluate this new broader thing you by definition cannot define or or grasp the same the the whole picture you're only going to get the part that is reliant upon the like financial part you're not going to get all that other stuff that's more general it goes beyond the financial market, and because of so, if you depend solely on those metrics to define your, to, to make your decisions, then you're missing a big portion of the picture. And that's what a lot of people do. They say, "Well, like you know, the, the, the people have been using these tools for years and generations to try and establish like what things are happening." So clearly, I'm going to find this. So like, yeah, we're using them on the wrong thing. Like you create models, and models have limits and boundaries on where they're appropriate to be used. And when you take them outside of the things they're appropriate for then the results that come from them are not nearly as accurate or, or like as conclusive. So you have to be careful and when you use things. So if you end up doing that type of stuff and you're not like Shello and you want to make decisions, then make sure like you're asking the question of like, is this an appropriate thing to be used and how much should I rely on the actual results? How good are those results? That's like, that's the scientific method. You have to know what you're using and why it should be used and where it's appropriate and evaluate the, like the results of using it appropriately. Like you say, if you don't want to be like Marcello and use decision-making tools. <laughs> I mean, you literally just said, I don't want to do that. 
I'm just saying, like, there needs to be an active investment strategy. And we're just so early. There really is no concrete investment strategies for what we do. I mean, new protocols are coming out all the time. You know? I agree. I agree with that. You don't need a dish, your man. There has, it hasn't been around Same. long enough for us to say this works and has worked for a long period of time. And yeah. it's also changing so rapidly that, like, we're, we're changing the model or the, the thing people are building models on so quickly that models that are built quickly, be, quickly become obsolete. Yeah, that's true. Things, things are changing rapidly, though. There's institutional play. I think the institutional money that people talked about for four or five years now, I think it's been in for quite a while, honestly. I think it's part of what drove the price up and what's part is driving it back down. And I think that there's kind of clues to see that it's in there with like Pol Poloniex now has is offering institutional sub accounts. I'm echoing in somebody's mic. Uh, Poloniex Sorry. is off offering, uh, you know, drop down accounts for lack of a better term. Coinbase Pro will be offering it within three months. Um, there's another Binance is offering it too. So now you're going to have these massive, massive trading desks which have, you know, multiple, multiple people trading for them underneath one sub account or sorry, several sub accounts underneath one master account. So more institutional like trading is happening. So I think the patterns existed and they've been taken advantage of for the past 12 months. It could be. I don't know because I just only thing that I that's why I don't, I don't want to I'm kind of like cello and that I don't want to spend a lot of my time trying to figure that type of stuff out one because I don't really trust the models being used and I don't think whatever is being used won't continue to be used later on down the line when we have actual utility and I feel that the prices now are not reflective they're smaller than what they will be when this stuff is actually being used that's why I buy stuff. And that's why I don't like watch the charts every day or check my portfolio. When, when, when the prices go up, I'll know. And I'll be able to be like, oh, cool. Now's a good time to get out when I feel that it's gotten out of control. I sold at the beginning of the year because I felt like the, the conversation and narrative and excitement around everything that was going on was far greater than what was warranted. So I sold. And that's what I mean by what I say, like I buy and sell based on like my gut and balls is that I'm looking at how people are talking and doing these things and the price associated with it and how, what I actually understand about the technology. And when those things don't match up, then I act accordingly. Mm. Yeah, I think that's where I differ from both of you guys is that I have a number in point. Like when I buy in, I have a number in the future and like this is the number I sell at. Well, that's like, that's just like, in my opinion, sound investment strategy. Like it's it, it helps you not be greedy or or scared yeah. and and act according to those those like really extreme emotions. So you say like yeah. this is this is how I'm doing it, and whatever happens is what happens. So I'll buy and sell when it gets to these certain points. So that way you remove emotion because a lot of people trade with pure emotions. They get scared like oh I don't know what's going on. I'm losing so much money, and they sell, and then it comes back up, and they're like ah shit. Yeah. And trust me, I've I've made some money, but I've also lost out on opportunities because of that too. Hell, I had an opportunity to put a whole Bitcoin in the ether when it was worth like a penny. 
and Bitcoin was worth like $500. And I was like, eh, I don't know about that. Seems kind of risky. You know, there's, I also miss out on opportunities too. So it, uh, yeah. Well, uh, before we, I want to, I'm going to take a little bit of time to uh, talk about some of the things people asked about in the Slack. Oh, about the Zcash stuff? Yeah, Zcash and ETC. And chill. And D, I think the echo is coming from your computer. It is? I'm not, I don't, I don't even know how. I don't know. I'm not even hearing an echo. I hear hmm. it kind of when people get real loud. Either way, it doesn't matter. Um, I guess people want to know. Yeah, join the Slack. You can ask us questions. We end up talking about it on the show. Uh, I guess people are like some some words around. So I think this all got started when um, ETC Dev, which was a developing uh, a developer group that was solely focused on Ethereum Classic, announced, and they were the leading group for their leading development group in that space. Announced that they're uh, closing up shop for good. Uh, effective immediately because they could not secure funding for the team to continue working on uh, developing things on ETC. And basically everyone was, every, like the media around that was like, Ethereum Classic is finally dead. It's no longer working. Uh, we all knew it was going to happen. But I think, and like generally speaking, that's not the case. There are quite a few projects that currently run on Ethereum Classic. For those that don't know, Ethereum Classic is the fork that stayed alive um, after the DAO that chose not to change the rules, whereas Ethereum uh, changed the rules to refund a lot of the money from the DAO hack. Uh, and so that just kept churning along, mostly driven by IOHK for the longest time, and then other people put money into it and built developer communities around it, started building projects, etc. And it's, it seems to be going along strong. So right now, one of the large projects that I think I found was um, a bridge between Ethereum Classic and Ethereum. So you can basically transfer funds back and forth between the two chains. As well as, and, I, and more often than not, I feel like people, I would think people use Ethereum Classic as a hedge against Ethereum because Ethereum is slowly moving towards proof of stake. And um, all of the mining hardware and uh, miners won't have anything to like use their hardware on. So there's automatically something to put that that uh, hash power towards and start maintaining some profitability associated with the hardware you have for doing that. Uh, and then if you have that, you need developer interest to sell that coin and people have basically been making bets that that's the case or they're ideologically driven to say this is an immutable chain because we chose not to change the rules. And so like that's the stance that Ethereum Classic has taken and will probably always take. So if you're into that, then build on those types of systems because you can be have a safe bet that no matter what happens, the base layer chain isn't going to reorganize to to fix it. As for Zcash, um, they they had a huge upgrade to their network um, a couple months ago. I want to say mm -hmm. to um, their the, the the title name for it is called Sapling, which was a which was a hard fork for Zcash, and they changed the the uh, elliptic curve that they do all their their stuff on. And if, and to make things incredibly more efficient and fast for uh, for shielded addresses. So beforehand, Zcash was hailed as being like the you know, the using zero knowledge proofs to enable like complete privacy, so that no one can understand um, who you're interacting with and how much you're interacting with on the blockchain. So it was like obfuscating all the information around a transaction. 
which is a call the shielded transaction. This was not by default like Monero is. You had to mm -hmm. opt into this type of thing. And it was actually really hard to do. And no one was doing it. So like less than 5% of all transactions on Zcash were just like every other chain, public. Um, and so like no one was actually using shielded transactions because it was so inefficient. And there's a property about this type of thing is that like the smaller the set of people who use these anonymity features, the less privacy and security pri yeah. associated with it. And so like basically you could know everything that was going on because only a few people were actually using it. You need to like it needs to be more broadly used in order to have the same like security and privacy guarantees that they're hoping for. I mean the cryptographic is the cryptography is strong, but you just basically use forensics around the transactions. Um and so the sapling made it much, much more efficient to use these shielded addresses so that they'll be used way more often, like on mobiles. And you also have things like uh detaching a viewing key from the actual uh, private keys that generated these shielded addresses. And so you can actually view the transactions inputs outputs without exposing the private key that actually generated things. And so like some cool cryptography around that kind of stuff, sapling enabled that stuff. So it's, it's moving forward. Uh, it's now on Coinbase, which is pretty, pretty awesome. You can buy it. You won't be using shielded transactions on Coinbase. I don't think anytime soon you'll be using the regular public knowledge stuff. And that's a pretty good update on that shit. Yeah, um, I think Zcash is, is a fascinating project uh, because I don't think it's setting out to be as awesome as it is. When you look in their white paper, a lot of it was written to like kind of be a test bed for Bitcoin or at least at a maximum, like a side chain for Bitcoin whenever side chains were all the rage back in the day. Yeah. Uh, but people figured out that side chains are tough. And they were like, oh, shit, well, screw the side chain idea. Let's just be our own thing. And it's blossoming really, really well. What's cool, so, in my opinion, is that it's pushed a lot of the um, it's pushed the research in that type of cryptography, which is very, very, very applied, useful cryptography. Um, and these things have existed for a long time. They just haven't been efficient for application. And what Zcash has done is basically incentivize all the researchers who care about that kind of stuff to really work for on building something that's usable for everyday people so that um, eventually we're going to come to a technology that's that enables a lot of really cool stuff for the average individual um, that wouldn't have gotten funded otherwise. And like if, in research, if you don't get funds, then you can't work on the things you want to work on. And so basically money pushes research in a lot of ways. Uh, but despite what people care about or passionate about want to work on, if they don't have money to f pay the bills and feed their family, then they can't work on those things unless they have a lot of money to not care. And things mm -hmm. like Zcash have allowed money to flow to that kind of research, which in the end will benefit everyone. I wonder how ahead of the curve we are. Like nowadays, usually you're taking out cash or people take out cash when they need to hit up their uh, local push-up man. But at some time in the future, it's going to be like, hey, man, you pay for this with the Zcash. Don't don't come here with that Bitcoin. All right? If you want this uh, high-dose THC, you're going to give me some Zcash. I mean, uh, ain't nobody buying weed from a dealer these days. Come on. What? Yeah, they are. I don't know why. Just go get really good weed from the from the medical store. Just the dispensaries. Yeah, like like oh. actual really good stuff as opposed to going to some dude on the street. You're trying to get heroin? Go to that guy. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that shit's gross and you don't know what you're actually getting. But if you want to get weed, it's 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 legal. Just go buy the good stuff because it's regulated. Oh, public service drug announcement from Dr. Petty. <laughs> yeah, if you're buying weed from a guy in the corner, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Uh, it reminds me of that Always Sunny. When he's like, one, one eight ball, please. <laughs> one, one crack. Can I get one crack? Can I have one crack, please? <laughs> All right. Uh, good segue to our interview. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't. It's sent. I don't know the guys, though. I wasn't, I wasn't I in on it. I love this project. I wasn't a part of the interview, but I love this project. Oh yeah, Scent.co. This is uh, who was it? it? Was it Max and Cameron from Beta.Scent.com? Co. Uh, dot co. Yeah, CEO. I just said Scent.co. Yeah, Beta.Scent.co. Um, there's a lot going on with this project. Uh, so yeah, it's, pay attention to the interview. Uh, I don't have anything to add there. Just uh, here it is. Hey everybody, welcome to another uh, exciting interview. Uh, for today, we have um, a very exciting project that I've been following low-key, kind of stalking, kind of not, here and there. Um, I wasn't in you guys' bushes. That wasn't me. Um, <laughs> but the project is Scent, and that is C-E-N-T, at beta.scent.co.co. Uh, and um, the way I kind of I think of Scent is... It's like, um, it's kind of like social media, but not really. It's kind of like there's, there's bounties for asking questions or, or, and then there's also like, you can get paid to post things. It's kind of a lot. And, um, you could tell I'm not the best stalker, uh, obviously, but <laughs> <laughs> today we're joined with Max and Cam and, uh, they're, they're going to break down scent for us and also kind of take us through like the user experience and uh just talk about crypto you know bitcoin podcast stuff so guys welcome to the show thank you cool thank you so much we're uh very excited to be here um and yeah we, we appreciate your stocking um but we can uh also elucidate for people um a little bit more <laughs> about what sort of what we're trying to do and what we're doing now um Good deal. i guess this is a quick sort of back Cool. Yeah, before we go um, just that, give a quick your, background. Of, yeah, give your background. Yeah. So, Max, where are you from? What do you do? How'd you fall into crypto? Uh, what are your hobbies? <laughs> mm, okay. Um, so, uh, I have a few hobbies. Um, I uh, well, really, I have two uh, two things I focus on in life, which is really scent and also music. Um, I'm very into songwriting and sort of artistic endeavors in general. Um, my background is design uh, and sort of user interface UX design. Um, I worked in uh, augmented reality for a while. I worked in SaaS products, um, um, but really congealed around um, blockchain and micropayments and cryptocurrencies a few years ago. Um, I studied philosophy in school and I'm really into sort of deep questions uh, and, uh, you know, trying to get to answers uh, for those that are adequate. Um, and in a lot of ways, Scent is sort of a, uh, a pretty philosophical company and sort of its answer to some fundamental um, societal problems. And um, so the sort of, uh, you know, philosophical artistic angle is sort of uh, where I pull from a lot. Um, and uh, yeah, Cameron, what about you? 
Yeah, so I have an engineering background. I studied computer science at University of Michigan and graduated in 2014. At some point during my undergrad experience, it was probably around I uh, interned for uh, a digital publisher. And like all digital publishers today, uh, you know, they monetize through advertising. And so I had my first exposure to how, from a publisher's perspective, um, dealing with the world of advertising works. And by the end of the internship, I could pretty confidently say that like advertising was one of the greatest evils on the internet. And mm -hmm. it sort of set uh, in place like a foundation where for the rest of, you know, at the time that must have been 2012 onward, I became fixated and sort of fascinated with how do we solve the content monetization problems on the internet? And that led me through a number of, you know, uh, I started a company, I ended up winding it down for various reasons. Uh, and then, you know, fast forward to 2017, the beginning of 2017, me and Max got in contact, actually, because I was still working on the problem, but I was sort of, I was trying to figure out like, what the next move was, like what a better implementation was, because the previous service that I had been running um, was based on advertising, but focused on repurposing it for the consumer. So if you're someone on social media, you make money sharing content, uh, you get a portion of that ad revenue. But it really, uh, it was a tough business to be in. And so really, you know, I, I come at it from this, you know, core motivation to solve content monetization on the internet. Um, and me and Max are sort of like incredibly sort of aligned around that problem. And like more generally, you know, the future of the creative economy uh, slash economy in general, as we move toward like a more automated society and uh, robots replace, you know, traditional human tasks, uh, sort of how we uh, think about the future of work and how that gets monetized. We feel like it's very creative, very on the internet. And so that's a large focus of Scent and our mission and where we're headed. Yeah, and just to just to also give a little more um, context for how we met, I uh, in college I had this idea for a company that I ended up starting out of college that was um, actually called Penny. And the idea with that was that um, it was a really simple network. Uh, it was sort of pre-Ethereum, pre-pre a lot of ability to make stuff with blockchains. Um, but the idea with that was instead of liking a piece of content, you could give it one penny. And, you know, the idea was that at scale, you know, a thousand, the one liner for it was like a million likes is a million likes, but a million pennies is $10,000. It sort of instantly monetizes things in the way that we already interact with them. Mm -hmm. um, so I built that and uh, I sort of jerry-rigged it like using Stripe and like all these other fiat structures. And um, it worked, but barely because you couldn't, one of the things I learned about microtransactions uh, pre-crypto is that they're impossible in the sense of um, to, to send one penny costs around 33 cents. And so mm. it just makes it completely pointless to do that. And so the, I, I built other implementations where it sort of all, you know, bundled all the transactions until the end of the month and stuff like that. But um, it was always a hassle. There were always all these fees. There was all these uh, government regulations around um, having to get registered as a money service business and all these things. And uh, I really found Ethereum a few years ago from looking for some way to move one penny around. And uh, and then I quickly realized, oh, wow, there's so many more things I can build um, uh, with this. And so I, I was just transitioning that company from its fiat structure to an Ethereum structure. But that really wasn't my core uh, technical expertise at that time. And um, uh, luckily, Cameron found that project and reached out and um, 
I think more than anything, we have really complementary skill sets. Like we built the first version of Scent, you know, just us. And, uh, you know, I do generally doing the design, Cameron generally doing the development. And um, uh, I think that that sort of us having our own domains has, has really been a positive thing because, um, you know, we collaborate when we need to, but we also sort of ref- defer to each other and um, kind of respect each other's, you know, expertise, which I think is good in general for teams to have. Yeah, it always helps early in early stages of, of anything, really, if, if, if roles are defined and because and, it helps to outline the responsibilities really well. And the fact that you guys were able to kind of stay in your individual lanes is probably a testament to the success that you've had. Um, so that's good. I wanted to ask a question, though. Uh, it's just a philosophical question. And what is a necessary evil, Cam? Because you said advertising is a necessary evil of the Internet. And then I've always thought, like, since I was a kid, I was like, is evil ever necessary? So I've always, <laughs> I wanted to kind of say, like, what makes advertising a necessary evil? Yeah, I would say that it's necessary in the sense that, you know, it powers content creation on the internet today, by and large, right? Mm. Um, Reddit makes most of its money from advertising, you know, as a company. And that's all user-generated content. And I think necessary is sort of to be treated as a stopgap in the sense that there will be a solution that replaces it eventually. That solution just isn't there yet. We have a lot of hypotheses around what that solution could look like. Um, and obviously, you know, we're working on what we think are the most promising ones. But for the time being, if these organizations uh, are going to get paid and the creators are going to get paid, then advertising is absolutely essential to funding that because a publishing business itself is uh, currently only viewed as valuable as the audience that it re- that it is like capable of reaching. Right, mm-hmm. the businesses that want a partner to reach that audience are ultimately a proxy for the value of uh, you know a journal or an online publication, and we think that there are better ways to quantify that value. Um, and so you know, uh, bountying is sort of loosely related to that. Seeding is much more strongly related to that which we can get into in a bit. These are the product offerings on Send. Uh, and we think that as time goes on, the mechanisms for measuring and rewarding value for content creation will just get like incredibly more uh, robust and honest and disintermediated. Mm-hmm. And just to, you know, I think if you really think about what, um, what, what is advertising, you know, at its core, and I think ultimately what it is is that some sort of entity has built some sort of structure that has people's attention. And the reason it has people's attention is not to show them ads. It's that there's something else there. So, you know, take Times Square. Um, you know, you have big buildings and busy intersections. And so it has people's attentions because it's in a popular city and um, it's in a high traffic, you know, area and there's big structures around. And so the people sort of um, sit on top of that structure and put their message on top of it in in the same way that facebook exists as this place where people go digitally to connect with each other and then since people are there you can have their attention so you can sort of hijack their attention um to show them something but i think what's always bothered me about it um fundamentally is that it's not it's non-consensual like like you're not agreeing to see it you're sort of it's just being thrust into your uh sensory experience and in a lot of ways, it's programming you because it's 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 giving your subliminal mind these cues. You know, you see a, a 
a burger with like a supermodel eating it and you're like oh that's like cool or that's you know that's how i get a supermodel is by eating this burger or whatever it is um whatever connections it's those type of things are very um uh, very intelligently constructed to 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 pull you in certain directions um the person who actually invented a lot of what modern modern advertising is was um uh, one of sigmund freud's uh main i think it was his son or its cousin or someone who's related to him um but he, he has this whole book uh about you know all the psychological things that he sort of brought to Madison mm-hmm. Avenue and, ha- and how it was sort of manipulating people, and so what we always felt um, was that there had to be a way. There's actual value creation occurring all over the internet. You know, there's people making interesting posts, interesting songs, interesting videos um, that gives us pleasant emotions, pleasant thoughts, and and you know, it, it's it's pure value creation, and it's pure value creation in the, in the way that. Um, that you know, working at a uh, at a Starbucks or a factory is is less pure value creation because for most jobs, uh, they're inherently algorithmic in the sense that they're step by step processes. You know, if you're a barista, it's you know, take order, smile, put in coffee, put in cream, write name, push out on the counter, um, and the the better you do that, the more consistently you do that, the better of an employee you are. Um, but obviously, you know, our our take on it is that uh, jobs like that can, will, and really should be replaced by machines because there's a subhumanness to them. It's not using a human to its full capacity. And hmm. in that same pattern, uh, it, it's less aggressive, but it's the same basic pattern. We see it as sort of slavery. It's sort of you're doing something that is uh, below your capacity as a being, and you're being forced to do it. And if you don't do it, you won't eat. And so um, we sort of are born into this world where that's the norm. But I have a strong conviction that the future future generations will look back and, uh, you know, w- with some sort of similar level of disgust that we made people do terrible things nine to five for their entire lives. Um, and that, uh, you know, it, it, it'll be kind of sad to look at. Um, and so Ascent is really designed to begin to create structures that, that uh, exchange creative value for financial value because that has to be what the future economy relies on. It has to rely on value that's uniquely human, value that a machine couldn't do, a machine yeah. couldn't have your perspective. And yeah. um, uh, so, so that's sort of part of the, uh, the angle of view we're, we're coming from. We're, we're very aligned on that front. Uh, Max, I, kinda, I think the same thing. As, as automation starts to consume more and more of what we do, well, you know, we have to redefine value. And what it means to add value and, you know, partake in that new creative, that creation economy, as you put it, like, you know, the, a person is offering these valuable insights, or maybe they're a musician, or maybe they're a great, you know, fiction writer, but, you know, how are they going to make a living? They can't go, you know, when a robot's pouring coffee, you know what I mean? So I think it's, I think it's very interesting you bring that up, because I've thought that for a while, that you know, we're going to have to redefine and put more value into things that are uniquely human. And it's going to, I think it's going to be hard to define the difference between the two, but that's a whole other argument. Um, so, so let's get into scent. Let's elucidate, as you put it. Um, you know, how, how could people start using it? What is it? What does it do? What problem are you trying to solve? Like specifically, let's, let's dive into it. Sure. So, so, um, Again, the, the just the end state vision of all this, you know, what I see a sort of future human doing uh, in, in their life is that they right now it's like you get out of school or whenever you 
you know, think, start to think of yourself as an adult. And you're like, okay, well, I need to find a job. That's like step one of how I function in society. And so you start um, trying to construct yourself into a cog for some system to use. And you're like, okay, I can do this. I'll be a, you know, I'll be an accountant or I'll be an analyst or I'll be a, you know, whatever it is. And you, you try to, you try to turn yourself into something that some larger system can benefit from. And I think that was needed during the industrial revolution, but now what we want to shift the narrative to is that you wake up and you basically think, how can I provide value to some amount of people over a network um, in the most efficient way? And so an immediate value, a value that really you can only provide. And for different people, that's different things. And so for certain people, um, that's uh, providing answers or providing replies to, to questions that they've had. And so what we started with last year um, is what we call our bounty system. Um, and the way to understand that is essentially you can, um, you can post any request or post any sort of ask, so to speak. You could say, you know, I'm starting, you know, a, a, a tennis coaching business and I need a logo. And you'll say, all right, I'm going to put up, you know, $10 as a reward. And what that does then is the user base can then reply to your request um, and they can, you know, reply with a logo they make. You know, there's a lot, a lot of designers on set. Um, so they can, um, you know, you'll get like 30 different logos from all these people and they're competing to be the best logo. And then other users come in and they vote on the, the responses. They basically say, and they vote by the system of, you know, two responses at a time get paired up and you just choose which one you think is better. Um, uh, and at the end of a predetermined amount of time, the best responses uh, automatically receive the money that was offered um, in the original ask. And that that whole sort of structure was was created because, first of all, we, we were sort of obsessed with Ethereum and we wanted to figure out like what's something, what's like the simplest thing that we can build that actually does something you couldn't really do before and actually, I guess, something we might actually use daily. Um, and that was like, you know, in some way gets you money. That was kind of our, uh, the boundaries we had going into it and we ended up settling on this bounty idea. Um, and it's been really amazing to see how many different ways people use it. You know, people who are into crypto investing will ask, you know, I'm thinking about investing on this coin. Give me like a three-page research report on it. And, you know, the, the sentience or that's what, uh, that's what's, you know, the, the sent community has named themselves the sentience. And they will go out and, and do anything for you. It's pretty incredible, really. There's really not been something, you, you have an army of people that like, are at your beck and call for like 10 bucks if, if you want them you know and i think a lot of it then rests on the use the the, the original poster to, to sort of have their own creativity about like what could i possibly make you know all these people do that would benefit my life um and we have way way better response rates and things like quora if you ask you know we have all these uh one-on-one -on -one comparisons where you ask a question on quora and you get maybe one two responses and on scent you get like 50 or 60 responses um and we think that's mostly because there's a financial incentive on scent and What's cool about financial incentives is that you can you can make people do anything. Like, like if, if you're offering money in a lot of places in the world, uh, you know, even small amounts of money, even three dollars, is you know a week's salary in a lot of countries. And so um, people will do whatever you want them to do. And so uh, uh, we, we sort of see it as just the beginning of sort of this whole new paradigm for how to think about value transfer transfer among human beings. And um, uh, uh, that's that, that was sort of the genesis of how. I think we thought about it. Hmm. That's gonna. So, so is the highest amount that, that you can put up for bounty ten dollars, or can you set the max to whatever you want? No limit. You can set it to whatever you'd like. And what you're doing when you when I say you're setting, you're 
putting that money in is you're sending that money um, essentially to a contract. Um, and then we have a hybrid sort of decentralized, centralized architecture. So part of it's under our control, part of it's not. Um, uh, we like to think that the, the sort of the most important part is is written into contract form. Um, but the uh, uh, the money gets sent uh, and then the money gets distributed. Um, it, and the money you earn on sent right now is Ether. So you're, you're not really... Uh, we, we will uh, very soon have our own coin, but that's not where the, that coin would, would come in. You'll always sort of earn mainstream cryptocurrencies on cent. And uh, we've also been thinking about, um, you know, stable coins like USDC and things like that, where you could potentially earn directly in, you know, what, what, what it feels like, you know, a, a fiat currency, even though you're not, you don't have to deal with the, you know, cumbersome nature of fiat structures. Mm. Very neat. Very neat. So what is one of those things you said, something that you could do with Ether that you that, that couldn't be done before with the previous uh, uh, fiat system? What is something that you've done specifically um, that people have really been drawn to? Yeah, well, I think one of the big things is um, just the path to getting money, right? Mm -hmm. If you think about like ways in which you can earn money on the Internet today, a lot of it uh, comes down to, you know, you have to sign up for PayPal. You have to be over 18. You have to do all these things. You have to have a bank account. You have to link that bank account. You have to take all of these steps. And it is really cumbersome uh, for, you know, someone who has access to the Internet, say a 13-year-old or a 15-year-old, but does not have any sort of financial services available to them. And not to say that we're, focusing entirely on a young crowd, but I see a lot of the value in cryptocurrencies as it pertains to this whole permissionless nature of it. A user can come and sign up, just provide their email address, and all they need to do is get MetaMask, or in the future, even less. Maybe download uh, Coinbase Wallet or Trust, Token, or Trust Browser. Um, super simple, and now you have this native asset ether which is tied to a variety of services uh it's growing by the day the number of places that you can use it obviously right now it's heavily focused on decentralized finance but in the future as the economy scales these are sort of the base layer of financial services upon which you know businesses and other types of entities will be built and presumably they will accept ether as well so i see it as a more fluid way of getting purchasing power in the internet of tomorrow uh, and I think that's very powerful. And that's just what we're doing today. But in the future, as Max said, we really like to focus on decentralizing uh, when it sort of best serves the intentions of the user. And so as time goes on, we think that there's a huge opportunity to, for a system like Scent to increase trust and transparency by gradually moving more things on chain, by having it so that people can audit themselves and they don't have to trust us. They can sort of look at the code and trust the code. We already have that to an extent today, but we're sort of minimizing that because of scalability issues, things that are short-term uh, headaches for the community, but will eventually be alleviated with scaling solutions. So um, what's the funniest bounty you've seen so far to date? Or is it like, what's the most unique thing you've seen put up on Unsent for bounty to date? <laughs> The, f the first one that comes to mind for me is a while ago, we had someone, um, I forget if it was one of us or if it was someone else who posted it, but it was like, 
they wanted like this specific ridiculous image made like give me an image of a kangaroo sitting on a lawn chair in the middle of a glacier like like this ridiculous image and they were like go and then you you would see like these 20 different versions of this kangaroo on this lawn chair and, and, <laughs> and it was just cool. it, was, it was fun though because you can just really um uh <laughs> again you, you can it, it's a really just i mean it's a really useful way to spend a few dollars but it's also just a really potentially fun way to spend a few dollars um because uh, it's you know in, in a lot of ways i think that there's a there's a move on the internet toward small scale custom experiences um and you know one of the other uh, crypto companies we're uh, friends with you know we're not really involved with like adult content in, in really any way but uh spank chain is another company that we, we know the founders of and uh we think they're smart guys and one of the things they've done is is done a lot of stuff with, with cam people like the like girls sort of on camera uh, and guys giving sort of custom requests for them and um we kind of, i've always sort of seen it as like kind of similar to that dynamic but in terms of like labor and, and knowledge uh, so it's like you're sort of custom being able to ask all these people to do whatever you want and so um rather than just sort of buying some sort of standard service um and it's also much it, it's there's a community nature to it which i think is a lot different than other things because again the person who one key point to make is that the person who makes the offer who makes the bounty they don't um choose who what the best answers are the best answers are chosen by the user base. And every single time someone in the user base chooses which answer is better, they also earn ETH just for choosing. Each time they click which, which answer is better, some little amount of ETH is rewarded to their wallet. And so, um, and so uh, what that sort of creates in terms of behavior is that when people respond to a request, it's sort of like they're responding to the, re- the person who posted it, but they're also sort of responding to the network because the network is the one that's going to judge them. Um, and we think that's cool because it provides, it basically puts everyone in this stance where they have to try to provide value to the most number of people as possible, uh, which from a browsing perspective is kind of ideal because then you can, you know, it, it's not just this one particular person's thing. It's, it's, it's that mixed with, you know, what might provide value to me as just a, a person reading this page. Um, Interesting. So if you actually select the winner or you, you get, you get paid for, uh, voting to select the winner. Mm-hmm. You oh, get it. Wow, you... that's cool. Yeah, and, and yeah, and to contextualize the culture that Max was talking about. I think a simple example is you can imagine the question: What is the best cryptocurrency? And the nature of the responses a lot of times is because people recognize that they're not only serving the original poster, but also the community who's then going to go ahead and sort their responses. It sort of makes it less acerbic. So someone might be like, well, I recognize that XRP is very valuable, but here are some reasons why I think ETH might be better, as opposed to XRP is shit. Here's why like ETH is amazing, (laughs) right? It it sort of shifts the culture to a more uh, higher level enlightened perspective where you're trying not to be necessarily combative, but uh, accommodating to a variety of perspectives because that'll ultimately determine how much you make. Right. Totally. And, and and that's one of the things I think a lot of people are first, one of the first pieces of feedback they give us is like, it's just, it's just sort of very thoughtful here. Like people are very, um, uh, th- there's very little trolling. There's very little um, sort of the negative behaviors you see crop up on other services. And And part of the reason we think that's the case is that it's sort of a waste of time to troll on scent because if you could, if you wanted to, but um, 
you could have spent that same amount of effort writing something that's actually potentially beneficial and you would have actually made money that could have actually you could spend. And so on other sites where there's sort of, there's no, there's no attempt to, to get money. It's sort of like you have unlimited ammunition to just waste everywhere. And on scent, it's like you have one response, like use it to the best of your ability. And at the very beginning we had some trolling, but really in, in, in just the first few months that it sort of died out pretty, pretty dramatically. And, uh, mm-hmm. Uh, basically every answer now will, will, will be an attempt at a, at a thoughtful response, um, which is something that we, it's just sort of a natural uh, outgrowth of the design of the system. Like we haven't done much on an internal basis uh, or, or on like a sort of campaign basis to sort of ask people to be thoughtful. That's just sort of um, what people do, which is we, we think pretty cool. Nice. Has that, so to that effect, is there, are there, have there been any more like emergent properties that have, come in this network in the scent network that you didn't see that you're excited about you know how people are using it and what's developed so far i think for sure i think think there's been um a handful of i I think people um so take for instance the example i was talking about earlier take the the person asking for a logo um one of the cool things we didn't originally realize but we've realized now is that um requests like that for for sort of some sort of um you know piece of piece of content or something that someone can use for a project um before you could use some other service like fiverr or some sort of fiat thing that where you can or 99 designs or other things where they're kind of similar for that particular use case um but what's different about those is you, you sort of get all these choices and you have to choose uh which one you like the best but for a lot of people um design in general is not like a I found that people sort of either have that gene or they don't have that gene, like that, just that sort of sense of what, what's nice looking and what's not. And for people without that gene, um, I've worked with people in design level in the past and their intuitions about what are good and bad are, are often pretty off. And, and um, what you get on scent is you get all these design choices, but you also get this data of what everyone seems to think is the best one. And so you get this sort of user, you get this sort of focus group user testing mixed in with, the actual creation process itself and all for like a few dollars. And so um, we found that for, for, for projects that are, are using it in that way, it's sort of this double benefit. I mean, they don't have to choose the one that obviously got the most money if they don't like it, but mm-hmm. it's it sort of, it's, it's, it's definitely should enter their mind that, wow, 95% of people chose this one. Um, you know, even if I don't like it so much, you know, maybe that's the one I should go with. Cause you know, my goal is to, you know, have, have people mm-hmm. like my project. And so, um, and so that's definitely something we didn't we didn't uh, hypothesize. Uh, Cameron, is there anything else you're um, thinking of? Yeah. Well, actually, when you say that, it makes me think we should definitely do a better job of showcasing that sort of meta analysis of the responses in the post. That's a product discussion that probably should be for another <laughs> time. Uh, the only other thing I would add is really the way that we started was very much like crypto core. Uh, questions, text responses, no images, no multimedia, none of that. As we evolved our technology to accommodate more different types, it naturally sort of gave way to uh, interesting forms of requests. So like the day that we posted, um, or sorry, a few days after we released image embeds, for instance, Mackie, who you know pretty well, posted a Lambo bounty asking what is your favorite Lambo color, or if you had a Lambo, what color would it be? And then all of a sudden, because there are images that could be embed, embedded into the 
content, the nature of the site changed such that people were all about it, right? People were all about posting like images, memes, creative content. And that was a first leap out of what Quora is predominantly, which is a text-based site. Uh, and so we saw that start, start to evolve and we're like, hmm, this is very interesting. We actually want to embody more multimedia and cater to more types of, you know, creative content, creative forms. And so from there, we, you know, added other things. We had recently added YouTube embedding, SoundCloud embedding. We plan on adding a, a ton more as time goes on. But it was sort of interesting seeing the transformation from what we initially conceived as a text-only service uh, evolving uh, and sort mm -hmm. of the user embracing that uh, in ways that we wouldn't expect, like Max said with the logo design, right? That's a far-fetch or that, that's, that's a far reach from what Quora is today, right? That's almost a hybrid of uh, you know, something like Quora, something like Fiverr. Uh, and so seeing it expand like that was not entirely guided by us, but we were sort of always there to accommodate the growth by providing more uh, sort of multimedia services. Yeah, right now my gears are spinning. Like, how could a podcast take advantage of Scent? Like, my, my gears are spinning. So well, actually, we do yeah. have, <laughs> um, we do have uh, it's not official yet. So this, I guess this can kind of be... This can kind of be our uh, announcement of it. We do have a couple uh, uh, sort of weekly uh, syndicate newsletters that are going to start publishing soon. I won't name them specifically, um, but that is something that with the launch of seating, which we can go into in a bit, it sort of sparked their interest where we say, you know, post your original content here and we have a mechanism for you to monetize it. So moving Ooh. beyond that bounty requirement. And exclusive. I like getting exclusives. Well, I mean, it's it is exclusive. I mean, we we technically did uh, launch it like Thursday, and so it's. Um, I think Cameron's talking specifically about this new letter newsletter um, yeah. structure, but this feature actually, I would love to transition to talking about because that's really been our focus for the last few months, and in a lot of ways, we think this is way more important than bountying. Yes, um, let's and talk so, about this. I've I've seen this pop up. It's relatively new. I was unfamiliar, so fill, okay. fill me in. Cool. So I'll I'll give you some 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 quick context. So. Um, in a lot of ways, the holy grail for us has been how do you monetize um, original content in a way that doesn't do two things. Like it doesn't rely on altruism and it doesn't rely on advertising because altruism is just in short supply. Like we don't, people don't just give money to things rarely mm -hmm. unless they are like have excess income and they're bored. Um, and advertising is fundamentally brings in a third party who has other interests and is often manipulative. Um, and so we're like, how can you possibly do that? And what we came up with was this idea where what if giving could be incentivized? What if giving itself was self-interest based? And so um, we started going through all these models. And what we figured out was that um, we could really ultimately end up with a very simple structure where someone posts content. So say you post this podcast and next person you know, comes along, someone comes along and I think, this is, you know, a really useful, valuable podcast. I'm going to seed it with money. And what that does is you send money to the content. Part of the money goes, in this case, to you or the creator of the content. And the other, the other chunk of the money goes to everyone before me that seeded that content. And so what that basically does is that when I give money to something, I then receive a stream of income from everyone after me that gives money to the same mm. piece of content. So as an early supporter and a creator, they both make a profit. And so, and that's actually how the world functions. If you look at any sort of uh, popular creative act, the example I use a lot is Taylor Swift. You know, if you were a Taylor Swift fan in 2005, 
you in a lot of ways are part of you know what 10 years later is the phenomenon of a big pop star because you 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 sort of put yourself out there and you 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 said i you know i'm willing to like this person before other people do and i'm willing to tell my friends about them um and you know really you should share in some sense in that success and so um what it does is it creates this incentive where if you have seeded some piece of content like if someone seeds your podcast right now Mm -hmm. They are financially incentivized to tell people about it, not because they like you, not because not for any altruistic reason, but they're financially incentivized to to go out and be like, check this out. And and we feel like that um, that sort of is at the end of the day, what moves people to do things like money is, you know, is the it's the only objective value humans agree on. And so uh, it, it's it's really the only way to create these behavioral funnels um, and um and so uh, this model, which again, just went live like four days ago, already is getting a lot of use. And um, it's pretty exciting because we think it, and frankly, we think it's the right answer to this problem. Um, and so, so yeah, does that sort of make sense? Mm. Yes, it does. And this is also one of those things, like you mentioned earlier, this probably can only be done with smart contracts. No, I don't see, I don't think PayPal could do anything like this, right? Where it would have... I'm assuming it's using like Merkle trees to keep track of when you seeded and how many seeds came after you to see how much you get you get uh, remunerated for your seed, correct? Well, actually, so we're taking a more centralized initial approach. Uh, mm -hmm. We do intend to bring it on chain into a contract. Right now, the point at which we leverage contracts most is via user funds and not us maintaining custody of them, but the user oh. maintaining custody in a contract. And then once they sign them off, uh, off chain in a state channel, we can then take that balance and then reapply it, distribute it as needed. But you know, the points that you brought up are super valid. Any service operating like that today in traditional fiat has to deal with that, right? Money service, business concerns. If you operate a PayPal account, your PayPal account getting frozen. Right. One of the big benefits of cryptocurrency is that once it is on chain and has confirmations, that money is staying there, right? It is yours mm -hmm. and nobody can take it from you. Operating out of a third party service like Stripe or PayPal and with fiat intermediaries creates huge headaches for us. And so while we're not fully decentralized in the sense of how we route money through the system, we are uh, decentralized in the most important aspect, which is custody of funds or lack thereof in our case. Mm -hmm. um, but that is something that, you know, as, as like I was alluding to earlier, a little bit about transparency uh, and fairness in a system like Scent, where there's a lot of money flowing and you do want to be able to audit it as an end user sometimes. Uh, embracing a smart contract solution, like you were saying, something with Merkle Trees as like, you know, simplifying state transition, that sort of thing, uh, could be very beneficial long term. Yeah, I think that, I think long term it definitely could be. And one, the seating thing is really awesome. What was really funny is um, we, we, Cello and Corey and I were in DevCon. And um, I, Cello and I came back early. Corey stayed for the remaining days. I don't know. Did you guys go out to DevCon? This Huge promo about missing DevCon. But we were <laughs> actually launching seating that week. And so we were, we were heads down, uh, grinding very hard uh, at the laptops, et cetera. But, Probably yeah. the better option. To tell you that <laughs> I heard but, it was um, really great this year. Bear market DevCon was way better than Bull. So we actually went to Cancun, um, and personally, I was I was turned off uh, by 
Really? Like Cancun does. Because everyone was rich. And when you're rich, <laughs> you, love, you love to show off and be flashy. And I just felt like it was not catered to, like, I was at DevCon 2 the year before that uh, in Shanghai. And I just felt like I uh, walked away, you know, enlightened and inspired. And mm-hmm. everything at DevCon 3 was almost the opposite of that. Um, but I so I did have FOMO, and then it, the FOMO heightened as crypto Twitter, uh, without failing, uh, just pushed all of this news, all this information constantly. Everyone seemed to be having a fun time, um, and yeah. So long story short, FOMO, but it was worth it with the seating launch. Yeah, um, and I, I think I think it's safe to say we'll be there next year. Um, but. Uh, <laughs> This, uh, yeah. We're also in the in the process of um, raising our next round of funding, and so we had some meeting. We, we had a lot to sort of handle here. Um, uh, so yeah, there was a there's a bunch of factors uh, for why we couldn't make it this year. But we'll definitely we want to actually have a pretty big presence there next year because within the Ethereum community, we often get mentioned as sort of a to lay people as like, what can Ethereum actually do? It, you know, we're often something people point to and be like, well, check out this thing with you know questions and answers and content. And so because uh, it's just it's easy. It's simple. And so yeah, I think definitely. for a lot of stuff built on Ethereum is, uh, I, I don't think people, one of my common critiques of the crypto space is there's this assumption that the, the mainstream world is just as nerdy as you and they're not. And so, oh, wow. um, yeah. <laughs> and so uh, we, we have this same thing internally, we call it the grandma test or like, could a grandma use this? Like, could like, not to, not to diss any grandmas. I know there's some, some pretty enlightened grandmas out there, but the, uh, uh, <laughs> Just in general, um, have people that are not, uh, and we're, we're not quite there yet, to be honest. I think I think we still have a lot of the, most of our user base is still sort of crypto type community. Um, and I think a lot of that's because we are a real dApp and, you know, you need to use MetaMask right now or, or some wallet uh, to use it. And just the knowledge of how to use a wallet is, you know, way past the skill set of, of layman. Um, and so we're really doing all we can to get rid of that. Um, uh, and we, that's one area where we really want to be on the cutting edge is just the UX of simple dApps. Like we, uh, if there's a dApp out there, you know, if anyone listening to this knows of a dApp out there that is easier to use than sent, uh, we'd love to know. And essentially we'd love to copy them, whatever they're doing. Um, because, uh, it, th- that's one thing we don't, we, we feel like we could win on and we just want to uh, hit that as hard as we can. It's, uh, it's funny you say like not everybody's as nerdy as, as we think they are. And that is absolutely true. Um, but I do think that like general geeky nerdiness is slowly taking over. It's the Reddit culture, right? Say it, what? It, it's the Reddit culture. Oh uh, yeah. A lot of Reddit is geeks, right? And uh, more people every day are going on to Reddit and sort of subscribing to those notions, those ideals, that sort of thing. The future will have, uh, much more enlightened from a technological perspective uh, population. It's just the transition from here to there. Definitely going to be a lot of rockiness from a UX perspective. And and just to clarify, I, I think it's not that I think it's not that I think um, when I say nerdiness, I don't quite just mean like intelligence. I mean that um, there's different types of intelligence. And I think that, for instance, in my own life, like there's sort of this tech part of my brain and this sort of this like music part of my brain. And I sort of have my tech friends and my music friends. And um, I always think about, you know, on nights when I hang out with my tech friends or nights when I hang out with my music friends, I'm like, these are very different types of humans, but they're, they're all very intelligent in their own way, but they're very, it's a very different type. And I think, um, you know, the, a, a lot of culture can respond to, you know, high artistic intelligence um, at, at more of a, at more of a, a 
larger amounts of people can respond to that because they don't really have to understand it. They can just feel the beauty of whatever the person made and they're drawn to it. Um, whereas with technical intelligence, um, it's like they, they end up using, you know, the products of technical intelligence all the time, even if they don't understand them. It's like, it's like, you know, you know, how many people really understand electricity? Probably very few, but we benefit from it. But, um, mm -hmm. and the same thing with, uh, you know, how many people understand the structure of a pop song? Probably very few, but they still enjoy it. Um, mm -hmm. and I think that there's, uh, if I just kind of want to bring in a lot more of that, uh, the, the, the sensory experience of, ex of experiencing beautiful, creative things, whatever those may be. And I think that will, um, just sort of temper the, the, the sort of tech nerdiness, um, that, that's the current niche that we're in. Um, just so that we can re reach a broader audience and just provide value to more people. Like if you, if you're, you know, a hardcore nerd out there and you want to, you know, there'll be still, of course, a space for you. But I just also want to bring in people that are, um, mm -hmm. like for instance, last night, um, I'm in New York right now and, I was meeting with um, one of my advisors and uh, his fiance was with us and uh, she was taking a look at the site for the first time. And um, what she basically said was like, I love this concept. I love the UI. I love all, but she's like, honestly, the content, she's like, I'm thinking about my wedding right now. I'm thinking about like, if I have a child in two years, like where I'm going to send him to school. She's like, that's what's alive for me. Not, you know, which proof of work algorithm works best. And so, um, uh, you know, she's like, I would use this if, if the content, um, you know, spoke to me. And I think uh, that's in general something we really want to think about hard and, and have a really good strategy for um, is how do we how do we get into those other people's lives? And I think a lot of that comes from, you know, we don't have to go into this now, but partnering with different influencers and um, you know, do, doing sort of uh, what we think is a very sort of, you know, marketing forward approach uh, based on what people are really doing now and using now. And what I think yeah. would be interesting is, you know, as it gets more and more popular, if it gets, you know, to a point like some of the emergent social properties that would exist, like there, I can imagine there would be like seeding syndicates and, you know, um, people that influencers that hop on there and bring uh, massive waves of people and start kind of maybe even influencing, you know, what people pay attention to that. I think that that would be very interesting because then there you'd have new what you'd have a new data point to kind of measure these quote unquote influencers. That's really right. interesting. I feel like the, uh, you know, and the other point I want to quickly make is that w we think of all these things as experiments. Like we think of it, we spend a lot of time thinking and charting out the possible scenarios before we release something. So, you know, they're not experiments in the sense of they're just, you know, off the cuff and we release it, but they're experiments in the sense that we can only plan so much and then we got to just see what people do. Mm -hmm. um, like since we released bouncing, we've iterated it on it. Yeah, we've iterated on it quite a bit uh, based on usage. And, you know, of course I, I, I could see us doing the same thing with seeding over time. And so um, just know that that's kind of what you're walking into is, you know, people both from the user end and from the, the development end, you know, we, we all share the same goal. Like we all want the same thing for this to be really enjoyable and for this, everyone to make a lot of money and for, you know, uh, people to be, you know, free from jobs they don't like. Um, uh, but th what the actual implementation of that will be will, will surely evolve. And so we just want to put that out there that, you know, it's sort of, it's, it's always going to be evolving and it's not just this, you know, look at it now, this is what it is. If you, if you're out there and you, you know, look at our system and uh, you know, you think of a, a little nuance we could add that would make it much better. Like, please reach out. We've had users do that all the time and we've changed the product because of it. There's, if you even know about scent, like you're, you're probably a pretty, pretty smart person. And so, uh, 
uh, uh, please like make it go through your head and, and, and if, if anything interesting comes out we'd love to hear it yeah i wish uh, the reason i brought up devcon to begin with is because like out of the blue our other host uh cory petty i don't know if you know cory from status um he was like hey we need to start putting our shows on scent and i was like yes. what? I was like, yeah i was like what what are you talking about and he was like no i was just talking to people at devcon when you start putting our shows at, uh, on scent which led to me contacting you guys on twitter by the way because i was mm-hmm. like oh man i forgot all about scent i haven't checked in on them in a while and then i looked and i was like oh it's changed a lot it's getting better and then i was like all right cool i'm gonna get them on the show to kind of learn a little bit so um Totally. That's where that all stemmed from. Is just the one random comment. I think he was like on a layover between uh, like Brussels and Prague, or, or Brussels, sorry, Brussels in the states. And he was like, "We need to start putting our stuff on scent." And I was like, "What? That, that's all you're gonna say? Like just one line? What are you talking about?" That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, that's that's obviously music to our ears, and it's it's really cool to see. You know, it's it's cool to just see something digitally proliferate. Like I remember when we started this at the beginning. Um, you know, every time we mentioned it to someone, we would have to explain what it is. They've never heard of it. Um, and now more and more, I'll mention, oh, I run this thing called Scent. I'll be like, oh, Scent. Yeah, yeah, I know Scent. And it, it, that's just such a high. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, you know about it. That's amazing. Like, it, it feels like, it feels like you know, this little baby you made is now like getting famous to some degree. And it's, it's, it's extremely exciting to watch it become, um, uh, you know, it has sort of its, its little, it's, it, I think it's one of the go-to dApps when people talk about like the top five dApps. Um, and that's really cool because that's, we, we like to think we started pretty early on this before people were really focused on making simple usable dApps. And I think that's part of the reason that, that we've been able to, to, to claim that sort of spot is just that, you know, we, we now, you know, we've only been around like a year, but it's in this world, that's a solid amount of time. Um, so, so yeah, that's, that's great to hear though, that, that, that type of talk is occurring. That's so exactly how could we, we, how could we do that? What if we made like this episode, our um what's the word inaugural episode on scent yes i guess very How, easy do we just throw it up there and then we seed it with some ether and we say hey this is how much ether this puppy seeded for so you share it you're gonna get a piece of that action. well wait so let me clarify something because i can tell this is actually a common confusion and we're doing a lot to clarify this so okay. when you when you post something okay so say you posted this podcast which um i hope you will because i feel like it's obviously a pretty relevant to our user base as well. Um, the, uh, uh, what'll happen is two things. You can add an optional bounty, which I would encourage you to do, you know, very little amount, like 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever you want to do. Um, and then you can say, you know, at, you could post the podcast and then say, ask them some sort of question be like, uh, you know, how could I make this better? Like, like what was your favorite part? And anything you want them to do to engage. Um, because what's cool about that is that if you're a content creator, like you are, and you post your content and then you post a bounty for people, to answer a request, to answer a question about it. What that does is it forces them to actually listen to the content or, or watch the content. It actually forces them to experience it, which really there's no other way on the internet to make sure someone actually fully list, listened and digested your thing. There's a, there's a way to see views, but who knows what a view means. Um, and so the with this, it's like they actually have to experience it and then think about it and then respond in a way that they think is the most valuable way they could respond compared to everybody else. And um, so I would, I would encourage you to add a little, some sort of bounty of, of some sort of response. But then beyond all that, you don't add the seed as a creator. You just post it. It's free to post. You just post it. And then users come along and they'll listen to the podcast and they think, 
wow, other people are going to think this is valuable. That's when they seed it. And then mm. other people after them seed it. Um, but again, every time someone seeds, you make ETH as the creator, but then all the early, um, all the early uh, seeders also uh, will make money if, if enough seeders come after them. Um, and to give a quick sense of the numbers, right now the numbers we're using is that say, for instance, you uh, post this and you know, two, an hour later it's been like seeded a dollar or, or something. Um, if, if I were to then seed at the dollar, if I were to add my own seed when it's at a dollar, the basic calculation you can have in your head is that, okay, when this reaches $4 or 4X, whatever it is currently, that's when I'll start making profit. So if I, if I seed it when it's at a dollar and I come back you know, two days later and it's at um, $10, I'll know that, wow, I, I made money by giving to this thing. Um, and so the, uh, uh, the, it's the, it's, that's where the fans come in, is the seeding. Mm. Um, the, the bounty is more the, the poster. Can you always seed however much you want? Or is it like if it's a dollar seed and then you come back and it's $10, then do you have to put in, t- is it like poker, you got to like put in $10 to keep seeding it? Or do you just always seed however much you want? You can put however much you want in. Okay. And the amount, the degree to which you give is indicative of the degree to which you have stake in you know, the seeders after you uh, when they seed, how much you receive from that. So if you really believe that something's going to blow up uh, like huge, then it's in your interest to seed a lot and seed early. Uh, oh, okay. So it's proportional to how much the total amount is. Exactly. Okay. All right. I was overthinking that for some reason. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> Oh, God, I was really overthinking that. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. Um, okay, well, I think we've pretty much hit all the high notes. Um, I've, I've been excited about your growth for a while. I'm glad that you came back on my radar um, uh-huh. via one small statement coming from DevCon. So DevCon did touch you, even though you didn't go to it. DevCon yep. came to you. DevCon is <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I saw some posts today. They're like, we should shard DevCon for 2019. And oh I, was like, I was like, oh boy. And I was like, actually, it could be a good idea if you had like three different cities doing DevCon at the same time. I don't know how that would work. But I, I would I love know. tracks, right? Where if one city has something all about curation markets, another one has all focused on scalability research, another one has. I think that'd be great. I and mean, then people could just go to the interests uh, or where their interests lie. Yeah, I go to the track. I, yeah. I think I'm a little mixed on that idea. Of, I think sometimes there's this there's this like decentralization ethos that per- permeates everything in crypto. But there's clearly some benefits to centralization. I mean, I think I think the fact <laughs> that the crypto um, you know revolves around these global conferences all the time. Uh, these these things that literally just centralize people is is always funny to me that you know you you traveled from around the world to to come just to just to have an organic conversation that you didn't know you might not have and um, I, I, one of the things I like about the conferences is I'll go and there'll always be a few talks that um, I'm interested in but a lot of them I, I don't think I'm interested in but I'm there and I'll walk in um, and inevitably I'll learn stuff and and oftentimes those are the talks where I'll learn the most stuff because if, if yeah, I often think that being not interested in something is just a proxy for not really understanding it. And, and so if you go and you understand it a little more, you might be like, oh, you know, ZK snarks are actually kind of an interesting idea or like, you know, whatever it might be. Um, and so, yeah, I think I feel the same FOMO about Cameron for not going, but um, we'll definitely, I think over the next year, we'll have a, a, a much stronger presence at, at conferences than we've had 
Because right. we sort of, um, and the last thing I just want to interject is, uh, uh, you know, we are again in this investment round right now. And if you're an accredited investor who invests in crypto things, um, please reach out to you know me or Cameron. We'd love to love to chat with you. Nice. I'm not an accredited investor. I, w- I will be at one point in my life. <laughs> I believe that's, in you. It's like a life goal to get there. You'll get there. Uh, but um, I guess it's time for our trademark question. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar. Actually, Nathaniel Whittemore uses Scent. And he asked our trademark question on Scent. And it got some very interesting responses. Um, but he asked it for Bitcoin. I'm going to ask you guys for Ether. So, or Ethereum, in, in 10 words or less, can you describe Ethereum? Um, in 10 words or less, I'll give me 10 seconds. Um, I would say my, my guess, my, I would say an updated substructure of the internet that eliminates middlemen in transactions. Ooh, that's 10 on the dot. Nice. Updated right. substructure of the internet that eliminates middlemen via transactions? Is that what you said? I think I said in transactions. In but... transactions. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I like that one. That's going to be good. It's going to be in a book, well, by the way. So, uh, there you go. so I, I would say that... <laughs> I got some babies like going on over there. Yeah, man. Oh, yeah, let me, let me. <laughs> I, I would say that it's a public ledger secured by digital signatures and random computers. That's nine words. So you, you both did it. <laughs> Congratulations. And I think you can tell which one of us is the CTO and which one of us is. Um. <laughs> I, think, I think it's awesome what you guys are doing. I love your approach. Um, it's it's definitely a speak softly, carry big stick kind of approach. Um, you're, 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 the word about what you're doing is, is spreading slowly. And like all things internet, it'll probably reach a little viral uh, vertical point, hopefully in the near future. I hope you guys are ready for that. Um, definitely. Yeah. Try to go on Shark Tank. Like we just interviewed somebody who went on Shark Tank and got a deal from Mr. Wonderful. That was kind of cool. Uh, I, I would want to go on the one that Vinny's on. I think that's Shark Tank South Africa. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to deal with like Mark Cuban types, but Vinny seems like a smart guy. Yeah. This kind of got 250% increase in sales overnight <laughs> from that show. Is that not bananas? I thought that was <laughs> I thought that was bananas. I was like That's wow. awesome. Um or no, he said increase in business, which is very fucking vague. But <laughs> <laughs> But he did say it was is a large increase. Increase, anyways. I don't want to go too far on a tangent. Thank you, Max. Thank you, Cameron, for swinging by. Um, thank you for actually showing people like, hey, there's a use case for this stuff. Boom, right here. We've, we've built it and it works. Yeah. And come use it. We're yes. right here. <laughs> it's it's not just PowerPoint slides and dreams. It's actual product <laughs> and it works and people are using it and it's it's fantastic. So thank you, guys. Cool. Thank you so much. Thanks for having us. And that was the interview with Max and Cameron, the perfect pairing of names, Max and Cam, or is it Cam and Max? You're gonna have to ask them. If I what? Go into what? Uh, what like sitcom? A uh, couple are they? Um, 
the sort the catfish guys. Catfish guys? You mean like the yeah. the Neve and uh Max. Max, yeah. I don't know what the catfish guys are. Is that something that I I I'm missing? Like noodling? Uh very popular TV show on MTV. Been on for about a decade. Made There's a movie. shows still on people still watch MTV. Yeah, yeah, young people do. You never heard of catfish? No, I know what it's. I know what it means to get catfished, but I don't well, that's, know there's they, a they show from that. It came from that. They made that phrase. That's that's them that did that. Oh, I thought you were talking about noodling. What's, What's noodling? Oh, is that where you stick your whole arm in a lake? You fish people by you're like you fish for these big like big ass fish by just shoving your fist in a hole and the and like the fish bites it and you pull them out with your hand. It's like mm. a it's like a backwater sport that's really weird. Does anyone ever lost an arm noodling? Oh, I couldn't tell you. I'm not a I'm not an avid fan. Going on faces of death dot noodling dot com <laughs> that would, after this. That wouldn't be what I call noodling. Am I right? <laughs> nah, I saw that coming. Well played, sir. <laughs> yeah. All right. So we Anyways. actually opened up the lines to uh live callers. And they are clearly springing off the hook. Chillo's, Chillo's dashboard has red lights going, and we're just we're just ignoring them all for right now. Deny, deny, deny. Yeah, we'll let you guys come in when we feel we want to let you in the show. But there is something that I wanted to talk about, Corey. You and I got into kind of a discussion. We were talking about ASIC resistance. Yeah. And there's a difference between ASIC proof and ASIC resistance. I kind of like just to make it easy on my, my thought processes, I think of it as the same as like the difference between waterproof and water resistant, right? Like waterproof means, hey, you could throw this shit in the ocean. You dig it out 15 years later. Congratulations. It's still going to work. Water resistant means throw it in the ocean and it's not going to work. It, it can only it's resistant to water for so long and at so much depth. And I think that's how I kind of liken all these algorithms that claim that they're ASIC resistant is like they're only so resistant for so long. So we got an interesting discussion. And that's 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 the appropriate way to look at it. Um, I think ASIC proof is, like you called it, a farce. There are some circumstances where that's reasonable based on how the – like. It's the, the things that say they are ASIC proof are basically things that change the algorithm dynamically. And so like as a background, I, I can re recap what I talked about on the general channel of our Slack is that in order to make an ASIC, you basically make these long sheets, these long wafers, these silicone sheets of all the, like the circuitry associated with it. And they do it in, in real big ones. So you can basically stamp out um, the actual independent ASIC chip from a massive sheet so you can fit like I don't know 100 I don't know the actual numbers but like let's just say 100 ASICs on a single manufactured sheet and these sheets are very very specially designed to be uh, have a ratio of like computation to the amount of memory required to do the to do the computation for SHA-256 which used for Bitcoin it's mostly computation and not a lot of memory and so what people said in order to combat this, they made things that were memory hard algorithms that those things couldn't effect efficiently do um, using like the stamped out pieces for Bitcoin things because the manufacturing process wasn't designed to have that much memory in the large sheet. 
And so people just made memory hard things because ASICs didn't have a lot of memory and couldn't do them. So then you needed to then do more research and development to make new types of ASICs and manufacture those sheets and all those associated costs with manufacturing those things. That's a lot of money. And you're not going to do it unless there's a, a large potential upside to using the final product of those things. And so people just basically kept changing things. And also its memory takes up a lot more space than, than CPUs. And so it becomes way more difficult to manufacture those sheets efficiently and cost effectively that give you the type of hash rate you need to make money mining those things. And that's what, that's what so, the previous ASIC resistance just was. Is it a safe assumption that whenever we see a large multi-million dollar investment in a mining operation that that's for research and development for a new ASIC. Yeah. And they're trying to make the hardware to get the highest amount of hash rate for a specific algorithm for the lowest amount of wattage. Mm -hmm. So like you, like you put energy in, you put like you plug it into the wall, you put energy into the cycle, it then pumps out hash rate. You're trying to maximize the amount, the amount of hashes you get for a specific algorithm in ASIC for the lowest amount of energy input. And that's a lot of research and development, a lot of iteration. And trying to get a lot of juice for that squeeze. Yeah. And so like, the thing is like with SHA-256, the, 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 the algorithm that you're optimizing for hasn't changed over the entire course of all of the iteration. And we went from like really crappy ASICs in the beginning to like really, really, really good ones. And that's because the algorithm hasn't changed. And the moment you change the algorithm, the ASIC is basically washed away along with all like a good portion of the research and development and that's a lot of cost and so like when people say they're asic resistance what they're basically saying is that it's probably not feasible put to for someone to put that much cost into making an asic for this type of thing or it's uh infeasible for this to be efficiently manufactured based on how things are manufactured and so like because of that people are, are, are less likely to build ASICs for this thing. And so the only, the most optimal way to do it is using commoditized hardware like GPUs or CPUs. Mm. And that's, that, that's all they're it. saying. And so I would love for there to be a crypto with an algorithm that was resistant enough to where it could mine while like you play video games or something. That would be so well, like, awesome. What is mining? Like you have to remember, and this is another point I pointed out is like all, all of this work, all this research and development and money and jobs are going into something that is basically solving a Sudoku puzzle and not like contributing to validating transactions or sending blocks or all of the other stuff you associate with like free money. All it's doing is solving proof of work. And yeah, don't get me wrong, that. that's, that's a very valuable thing to do because it's the only, in my opinion, fair way to show that you did a certain amount of work um, without having to like prove it or be trusted like you know from a very 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 strong computation and mathematical point of view that if you show that proof then you did the work and expended some reasonable reasonable amount of energy associated with doing that work okay cool since you did all that work we're going to trust that you're f following the rules which we can check after you submit things um and that you're, you're you're reasonably honest because in order to like cheat the system and do all that work is really stupid. What was that? I don't know. I kind of right know. Hey, can you have you guys looked at uh, coinmine.com? It's like this plug and play mining machine for like, I don't know, plugs into your phone or connects with your phone. 
And you can mine like Zcash and Monero and Yeah, by this they say mine, it's you're just basically doing some pitiful amount of hash rate compared to the total hash rate. You're just, yeah, you're just doing it. You can you can have a giant gold pickaxe and 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 crazy lats and traps and you're mining your ass off, or you could just have a little itty bitty shovel and you're scraping off the surface. You know, you it's can, like a little Xbox. Yeah, it's, a little it's more Xbox. for it's I, those are like just for I don't know, bragging rights? <laughs> like it's it's or like uh just learning how things work or like playing around or just just say, just saying you contribute, but don't think you're going to be profitable for something like that. Was the Zoolander the Zoolander meme when he's walking in the mine? Everybody's like, uh, working. <laughs> and he's walking like he's doing a lot of work, yeah. but he hasn't done shit. Like that's basically what you do. <laughs> I think I've got the black lung pop. So uh, if I buy this for 7.99, it's not guaranteed that I'll break even. No. I, I I almost will guarantee that you won't break even. Oh, hey, welcome to our new sponsor, CoinMine. <laughs> Guaranteed not to break even, brought to you by the TPB podcast. It's fun. It's cool. It makes you learn a lot. It's like this, it's, a, it's a conversation piece around the things. You may get some passive money that you can spend on things, but you're not going to pay for the device. Oh, no, I'm, I'm glad. I was curious myself, so I'm glad you set that straight. I, mean, I, I, I would have one. It'd be cool. It. But it, it, I'll reach out. Maybe we can review it. Yeah, I'd love to review it. I, mean, I just don't see from a technical perspective how you can mine these things and it be profitable uh, because the mining technology iterates so rapidly. Like that, that research and development iteration phase of making things tremendously better over a short amount of time is still happening. Well, I get the, I get the, mar I get the marketing. Did you, miss, did you miss mining Bitcoin in the early days? Well, don't be left in the rain. Join the next wave. That's what. That's how they're trying to hook you. It's basically what they're doing is putting like really, really powerful GPUs in that thing, and then software, and then the software associated with using those GPUs to mine on various various coins because those yeah. those chains have become quote unquote ASIC resistance, and so the only way to actually mine on them is to use commoditized hardware like GPUs, and so they just built one of those and then made it pretty and then made software around it that made it really, really easy to use, and it's it's just sits in your home and does it. That's cool. That's that's an that's an easy way yeah. to interact with that technology, understand that portion of how all of this works, and possibly make a little side change um, for spending on things that may end up becoming more yeah. worth like worth more later on down the line. Their marketing so funny. They might as well say like, "Do you like snakes? No. Do you like oil? Yes. Well, here's some snake oil. <laughs> that's what they might as well say." It's garbage. Sorry, I'm sorry to shit on coin. Oh wait, we're supposed to be reaching out to them, right? Oh, coin mine. If you hear this, <laughs> ignore we'll it. We'll, we'll take your product and review it. <laughs> um, where does you see it all going though? Because I remember what was really awesome when we first got into Bitcoin and all this crypto stuff is that you saw these stories of guys that were like, "Yeah, my computer." I just had it running, and I had 5,000 Bitcoin. It's crazy. It was just running from my computer. And now we're at a point where if you don't have, like, nation-state money, you can't even don't even think about getting into Bitcoin mining. Like, it's you need a Walmart-sized facility, and you need a bunch of cheap labor, and you need an army of smart-ass people to keep that shit running and maintained. Like, it's where does it go from here? Like, what does it even look like if it keeps 
Well, yeah. I don't even know if that's right because then Dave Carlson had all that, and that shit didn't work out for him. So, oh, well, he yeah, just, I know. he was just making like, the facilities to run those things in. I remember they were like pitchers bring their own hardware, and he's, I guess that didn't work. He just yeah. found places that have really good energy and like enough infrastructure to run all this stuff. Because you need like cheap energy, cooling facilities, space, server racks, people administrating things, etc. That's something I use my nuts with. Is I think that proof of work is going to push the proliferation of renewable energy research. That's what I think. I I don't know. There's a couple different ways this can go. Like proof of stake, if used appropriately. Could it like I mean if it works out could could put an end to a lot of this stuff. Other people feel that that's never going to happen, and that proof of work is the only way to do it. We're just going to get better at doing proof of work and being more energy efficient. And don't get me wrong. There's a lot of value in proof of work. It's staking an external scarce resource. That that's the all all like proof of work or proof of storage or proof of whatever um, is staking some resource research resource that's scarce. So that you can, you know, basically claim that you're going to follow the rules because you don't want to lose that 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 resource, that scarce resource. Corey, you want to win a Nobel Prize? You ready for this? You got a whiteboard? I have a whiteboard. Proof of stake work. Think it up. Make it a thing. I don't. I don't like the whole term. It's proof of too many things. I mean, unless it's used appropriately, like a proof of work no, is gotta... an actual computational proof of doing work. You're not hyphening though. You got to put a hyphen in between stake oh. and work. And, and, and proof work. of and proof of work, you are staking something. Like it's proof of work is a type of proof of stake. You are staking real world energy, but into uh, running this comp that's running this computation over and over and over again until you get the right answer. Like that's literally what you're doing. You're staking all of that energy up front. And it's an external resource. With proof of stake, you're 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 staking an internal resource, the native token of the system, onto the blockchain and saying, "I'm going to follow all the rules. If something goes wrong, take the money away." So it has to have some type of value associated with it. And if it's right, then add to that stake. Proof of stake work. Proof of stake work. Right, <laughs> work. I think uh, no one's calling in. Might be a wrap. Yeah. No, they all called no calls in. today. I to talk to you guys. Uh, <laughs> no, no, nobody called in. It's it's great that you guys that people asked to call in. Yeah. I guarantee and, people are going to be upset that they didn't make it. But granted, this is a very inconvenient time across the nation. We have a lot. Of, I know we have a lot of uh, people on the West, West Coast, Coast, right? And so yeah. the odds of them waking up at eight o'clock to call into the Bitcoin podcast is not good. Yeah, it's close to zero actually. So. Yeah, but I mean, it's a morning show. People don't have afternoon radio talk shows. Yeah, it's but it's also morning. on Saturday. So who the hell's like, like people yeah. call in when they're on the way to work for them. like that's why people listen to morning shows is because they're commuting to work. Yeah, yeah. We need to. I think uh, if we don't I, don't make excuses for the people. I, I'm also wake on the East Coast up. and I like my Saturdays. So wake up, call in. If we want more participation, we got to change this time. But um, the last thing I want to talk about is, did you guys see that Avengers trailer? Oh, my God. No, is that the one where, like, he's, like, trapped in space or some shit or, like, touching the, the helmet? What was good about it? Yeah. What do you mean, what was good about it? It's coming. There's going to be a new Avengers. The worst, the worst heroes are in there, Ant-Man and Hawkeye. 
Nobody asked yeah, for that. You're talking to D, no. man. They they, they 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 pumped it up enough and be like, this is going to be the best movie ever. And D's like, yeah. oh, selling it. it sold. That's all you need to say. It. Well, it's not, it's not the real trailer. It's, it's like the first of three. Teaser. And the first one always sucks. Yeah. The second one will probably be dope or the third. But well, here's the thing is that you know all the other heroes are coming back. They just no, did that. They're, like a, they're a money machine and they know it. They just they don't have to put any more effort in. Yeah, but before we get that, we're gonna get a whole bunch of Hawkeye and then a little bit of Ant Man. Dude, there's hey, no way it's Paul Rudd be a is an awesome. Movie. Paul Rudd's cool. It's just you He's know not this a is like hero. <laughs> yeah, this is like the last Avengers. So we're gonna get a bunch of comic relief and a bunch of sad Hawkeye. That's Shoot not even one. close to true. And then you got Scarlett Johansson. Uh, like all the heroes that nobody cares about are lived. Scarlett Johansson is like one of the hottest people on the planet. She's got that going for her. Yeah. She can't play an Asian robot though. That's for sure. They should have should have got that fixed. I don't know. I'm excited about it. It looked awesome. Iron Man's still in it. So there's that. Um but yeah, other than that, we can wrap it up. Yeah, join the Slack. Join the conversation. I'm looking at a thread right now that's discussing uh, Yogi's peanut butter banana granola bar juice for vaping. So it really it really goes what? into a lot of different places. <laughs> what? Yeah. yeah, it's some some thread between Ken and Colin. But like basically, uh, like we had that conversation about ASIC mining where I detailed how all of that works in terms of like a cost-benefit analysis of doing the research and making ASICs for things so and how that moves towards ASIC resistance. And we also talk about vaping and, and Street Fighter. So, And I, I went back and forth with Corey about how uh, consensus and the way people have jobs in this space, how it should be structured moving forward. Yeah, that was a good I would, I would I would really like to get someone who uh, got canned from the consensus stuff to come on and don't don't bash Lubin, but I, I would like to get some inside invoice. Oh, yeah. like, I, th- I think I could probably facilitate that. Yeah, like did you just come to work one day and boom, you got an email? Like, was it gradual? Do you agree with it? Do you not? I, I'd like to hear some. I know some what it was like. How do you I know it was like? Because I know somebody that works at Consensus. Yeah. Someone, it, I better not ask? be who I think it is. Did you ask her? Well, she, yeah. Yeah, boo. Boo her. I mean, a real person at Consensus, a developer. She is a real person at Consensus. Boo. No, you're just a slightly sexist, but that's okay. I'm not sexist. I'm I'm talking about the meetup people, the people that do meetups. They're the first people to go. They're not those those people don't count. I mean, like a real person building Web 2.0 or 3.0. That's what I mean. I, just, I don't I don't have time to navigate people's feelings and real people, real people. That doesn't make any sense. One, she's a real person. She organizes Two, fight clubs. The, the, I'm talking about someone who like got like a, like was like rubbing shoulders with Lubin. Like the, it was a shock. Those guys don't get. Oh, like, they don't get canned. Like I think the people who got canned was like all of the uh, ancillary the services that kind of didn't fit into well well pigeoned holes that then lead to like, yeah. profitable conclusions. Oh shit, we got someone to join you know, the Slack. Or you know the people someone, that hand out T-shirts at the conferences, channel? Those are the people that got canned. Yes, the crypto. What's up? Who's this number? What was that? Sorry. How did you get this number? How did we get this number? Did you call us? You called us. You, you called <laughs> us, buddy. <laughs> Tell us your I'm name. Glad you left. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's Wade. <laughs> I knew I knew yes to crypto. 
I knew who that was. I was waiting. What's up, man? Hey. How are you, buddy? How's it going? How's how's the uh, ask me anything? Everyone call in. Been going this morning. So we had about four hundred callers. We're the, you're the only one we you took. slipped in. Yeah, you slipped yeah. in. I don't know how you Lucky. got it. I have my camera turned off, but I'm literally sweating from rejecting all of those calls. The dashboard was just lit up like a Christmas tree, holly jolly. But no, uh, you're the first caller, so. <laughs> and, and we were wrapping up, so yeah. And you were, and you were doing uh, the 401st caller gets in, and and I made it, nailed it. Yeah. We, I think we... I think my book arrives today. Really? Oh snap! Yeah. Let us know what you think. Hope you like it. I better get signatures. Oh yeah, you have to see us at somewhere. We have to meet up again sometime in Texas, and then and then get some signatures on it. Or DC or wherever. If you're Where around, you I will sign your book. I will, I will, I will gladly I sign anybody's book. <laughs> I'm going to go to that level. <laughs> I'm coming for you. I only sign books in that like bright, sparkly, sharpie marker that they make nowadays. Gold, golden signatures Ooh. are all I hand out. I have a gold sharpie and I have a silver sharpie. There you go. And he keeps gold them on his person at all times. I do for signatures. I've got band signatures. <laughs> Bitcoin is the digital gold. What, so what do you I'm get when you get it. bands to sign things? What do you get them to sign? An LP or like a shirt or what? A napkin? Uh, I have VIP passes and meet and greet passes. I have CDs with me. Uh, any anything anything that I can get that's commemorative specific to them. So do you still have a CD player? Absolutely. Nice. Do you have a CD I collection? I know, like people who are in autophiles have like really nice CD collections and players. Uh, and LPs, LPs. I think. I mean, I still am an LP person. So, but yeah, I, buddy. I do, I do enjoy CDs. Yeah. Are those records? I can respect up there? that. Uh, some of them are. Yes, they're nice. they're they're framed. Yeah. So, uh, you got a question, comment, concern? Well, so well, what's the what's the topic? So I can keep your flow. Uh, we were now just wrapping up. It. You can do talk about whatever we're you want. <laughs> we were. Well, you can so, do the whole live from Saturday night. You can you can play us out. Uh, well, after three hundred ish, I'll round um, episodes, and you guys were big on price, and you said, "Oh no, we're not a price show." Given this week's work, how much have you been talking about price? Actually, I think we spent a good portion of this show talking about price. Okay, and in like investment strategy and. We know. weren't talking about price. We were talking about like investment strategy and we went into it about how the sharp ratio can help you balance and rebalance your portfolio, depending on how much exposure to risk you have, depending on what you own risk being defined by how much is that shit worth and its distance from zero. Okay. You know, the, low, the like closer to zero it is, the lower the risk. Did you go over averaging uh, down so that if, if people don't panic, if for example, you know, if they, they bought, a year ago or a year and change ago, let's say, you know, they're the average investor and they're really mad right now or confused or something other than happy. Uh, and either they're considering selling, um, they may relook at the price now. And if, you know, if they could afford something back then, maybe they can afford something now. And if, if they were to, again, hashtag, say it with me, not, not investment advice. advice. Not investment advice, yeah. Way to, um, way to do it on point there, D. Right. <laughs> uh, you know, if, if if they were to, I mean, the, the best advice usually for people who are not traders is to continually invest over time, you know, the dollar cost averaging. 
but if they were to, you know, pump something into their current investment, especially at these prices, um, they reduce their their average cost. So, you know, w- what a deal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and now that mm-hmm. if you look, I mean, if you look at Bitcoin, we're at the 200-day moving average, and that traditionally is a level of support that almost nobody can break through. Right. Well, you, you can, it can break through, but traditionally in pretty much any asset you look at, you look at the 200-day moving average, it's something that you're not going to, um, nobody's going to look twice at, okay, that's something that if you do break through, then, you know, a lot of people are going to look at that. And so that's traditionally an extremely good time to, to you know, either reinvest or, you know, then make a decision. So, yeah. You know, we saw some some bounce back from that yesterday, and then you know, as you keep keep relooking, a lot of people are going to be making decisions at that time. So, that's another good time for, you know, you to reevaluate reevaluate what you're doing with your portfolio. So whether or not you're a Bitcoin maximalist, or if you've got into Ethereum and then, um, you know, you're against all the other things that are not Ethereum or you got in late and you got into EOS, and so now you're against anything that's not EOS, or you're just a crypto maximalist uh, like I am, or you know, everything is, you know, adoption of everything helps everything um, for us to get away from the mostly corrupt existing financial and banking system, then, you know, spread adoption like the Bitcoin Podcast Network does, and try to get to know as much as you can about all of the different, um, systems and go to something that you like you I think know, go to you know. something you mentioned that i'm not sure everyone quite understands is that that concept of averaging down and so like say when you purchase that initial like expensive bitcoin and it's gone down in price uh if the if you buy another bitcoin at this price it averages the uh like average price of of your investment which means that it's easier to recoup your money exactly mm-hmm. and this is huge in uh trading as well. So it's it's not just because uh, that's what you're doing anyway. I mean, for uh, to most people who are who are new to asset trading, uh, you are trading your USD, your dollars for some Bitcoin. And uh, when you get into then trading on the major exchanges uh, for, you know, two, 2015, 2016 and, and half of 2017, the only thing you could trade was Bitcoin for then you know, a few hundred other coins. And then in 2017, you started getting other pairs where you could trade Ethereum and Monero. Uh, and then starting with Tether, you could trade other things for other other assets. And it's the same thing with that. And so a lot of people who dabbled in trading in 2017 and 2018, they started having the same problem. They took some of their Bitcoin at really high prices and they traded it for some altcoin and then the value went really down they started looking at the the dollar value of that and then they're you know they're throwing their papers in there and saying i don't care about crypto anymore look at how much money i lost when they're not realizing one bitcoin is still one bitcoin that has not changed and fiat value is what has changed so if they put in their mindset that the fiat value is a losing proposition over time, then maybe crypto is where they should keep their mind 
and the averaging down can still happen. And they're, what they're doing is they could have a much better deal now that that value has gone down and this could really help them. Bitcoin fire sale. Can, yeah, <laughs> it is. It all depends on their time preference, yeah, right? Well, it, well not preference. Yeah. He's talking about like out, complete outlook, like your, your total worldview on where you think value actually, like what, what the base yeah. value thing is. And so like if you think, think the that's... monetary system is going to go away and isn't to be trusted over the over like the, I guess, foreseeable future, then and and when that comes down, people will find value in things like Bitcoin because it's unstoppable. Then maybe these like these these price uh, drops are actually just good opportunities to maximize the amount of Bitcoin you can get, as opposed think, to like not, buying not it to that, be sold later. We we know. Or, I mean, I say we know, uh, we suspect the tremendous manipulation that's going on in the market. And just think about this. There's, we know of the interest of the wealthy wanting to get somewhere in crypto. We know that the laws state, at least in the United States and in most countries, that the tax that you pay on an asset is the fair market value of the asset at the time that you gain control of the asset. Well, Bitcoin has gone from 19.5 based on coin market cap on December 7th, 2017, down to 3,200, 3,300, 3,400 right now. Well, OTC markets still happen. Can you imagine the OTC market deals that are going on yesterday of Bitcoin trading hands at a fair market value in the 3,000s? These don't show up on the exchanges these don't show up on coin market cap but these are the deals where thousands of bitcoin can trade hands on the uh, otc is uh, over the counter so these don't show up in the in the things that we can see but we'll see transactions happening and wouldn't you know we saw lots of bitcoin trading hands moving wallets over the last week or two and these are the things that I think are happening, where the OTC deals are happening so that they can get the FMV for those deals at a really, really low cost, so that if they do have to pay taxes, they could pay it at the very low amount. Now they can start spreading. Now they can build their businesses. Now they can do the ETF maybe in February. And those those are the infrastructure plays that I think show not financial support, but infrastructure support for why Bitcoin and, and crypto are a really good investment. Yeah. It's a sound investment. Just not looking at it in the past year. If you got in this time last year, you're not thinking that. Exactly. But, Most people aren't. That's, that's kind of like the whole point of why, why, why Wayne's saying this is that people should be thinking about that or at least be knowledgeable about it so they can make better decisions or like not be so scared or like thinking about when they read uh, things like, like Cointelegraph articles or Coindesk articles that, you know, the, the sky is falling. Like there's a lot of things that are happening that don't show up in these um, signals that everyone uses to, to justify what's going on in the space. Like people mm -hmm. don't talk about these things. Right. And, and who, who coordinates or, or a, wouldn't it be convenient that those articles all get coordinated, uh, you know, simultaneously? You know, I, I don't want to come off as a tin, tinfoil hat type of person, but 
it, it does seem coordinated that a lot of those articles do time, you know, uh, get timed. They are worded. I mean, if you look at the content of the articles and then look at the content first and then read the headline, the headline is tilted. You could tilt that headline one way or the other, depending on if you're looking to tilt sentiment. Mm-hmm. And 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 most of those places are owned by a single conglomeration. So and it's the same in the in the normal financial industry. It's the same in the normal media. And so you know, maybe we should start is, tilting our headlines just to to to, to be complete opposite of yeah. whatever the current Noah, sentiment is. Noah, how can we tilt the title of this episode so that we can hit hit trigger a sentiment bot? Six trading tips you never knew yeah. existed that are make you money. <laughs> Give us a tilt, Joe. Hit us with a tilt. I think Corey nailed it. Yeah. <laughs> what do we say? You're the one, one that reads headlines every day. You 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 give us the tilt. It's okay. I'll give you one. A jingly uh, tilt. <laughs> here's a here's a tilt. Bitcoin podcast predicts the price of. 250,000 by May 2019 using these six investing tips these three different times of the year. There you go. That's that's, that's our, a long that's headline. Our yeah. Well, we're trying to we're trying to that get was the a bot draft. That's a good draft. We'll 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 rework it. We're trying to get to the bots, Corey. The bots need Oh, that's right. You need you need you need data for the bots. Yeah, we're well, trying yeah, to Cliff, sentiment. Cliff High needs to be able to pull it out. Yeah, we're trying to sing sentiment bots here, okay? Uh well we need to wrap. Excellent. Awesome, Wayne. Thanks for coming Thanks on the show, answer. man. Sure. Yeah. I'm glad you called in. It's been a while since we've gotten to have a good good quality talk with you. I'll talk to you next time. Thank you. Tell your tell your friends and family about this. And then uh and tell thank them you they for buying the book. Bush's chicken. Yeah, thanks for the book purchase, man. Hope you like it. Hope hope you feel like you got your money's worth. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Oh yeah, a quick question for for uh for research purposes. Uh, so someone mentioned that they would like the quality of the book is not super, 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 super awesome because we wanted to keep the price down. Right. So how would you feel about a, like a more expensive version of something similar that was larger with really high quality, like pages and, and weight and so on and so forth for like a nice talk coffee to, table book. You're talking, you're talking about cop. Yeah. I, so I personally, and I, I think I'm self-aware enough to know that I'm in the minority. I go for those. Like I have, I'm a huge um, I'm a huge yes fan. That's why the name is Yes to Crypto. So not only am I in for adoption, but I'm a huge yes fan. You look at my profile picture in the Slack; it's me with yes, yeah. the the, prog- <laughs> the progressive rock band yes. So so I have yes coffee table book that cost two hundred dollars, and that coffee table book is a collector's item that is just amazing. It's it's you know huge. Now nobody but a yes fan would get that. Now, a Bitcoin uh, commemorative book, I know you're talking about not a one of those types of things, but you're talking about maybe like twice the price, right? Something, something uh, 60 that bucks. range. Yeah, 50, yeah. 60 dollars. Oh, so, so probably four times, three, three, three times the price, right? Yeah. yeah. Four times. Okay. So, so I still would definitely go for that because I think it would, there's not anything else in that niche. As soon as something else is in the niche, then you're a me too. Yeah. Right? You're a follow on. But if you're the first in that niche, you're going to get the people in that book to make sure they have a copy. And the people that follow those people in the book, they're going to want a copy, right? Because they're going to say, oh, yeah, I'm going to get your book, right? So they're going to be the the groupies. They're going to want the books. 
and they're going to say, oh, well, yeah, I've, I've got the, the Bitcoin podcast book, right? So I think you're going to have that, that extra. Um, it just depends on if it costs you anything to publish it. Um, that's, that's the issue, I would think. Yeah, we'll have to look into that. I think it's a, it's, there's a lot of cool things we can do with the content we've like amassed over the years. Definitely. And we have a lot of cool ideas with it. They're like putting hard things in people's hands, which is a weird thing to say out of my mouth now that I just heard it. I'll try not to do okay. that again. Yeah. Sorry well, about that. I think that. the only weird thing is that it's digital <laughs> currency, right? So it should be a digital book. That's the weird part of it. I right? think we're it's, going for a Kindle aspect of it. Like, yeah, it it's, it'll be up on Amazon soon. Amazon's slow, which you think they wouldn't be since they're like a third of the internet, but things that they do are slow for the. It's authors. got some thickness to it. Yeah, you can see. Oh, it's you can see the spine, and it's on and it's on your like your bookshelf if you want. I mean, it's, it's yeah. not small. Cool. Well, um, yeah. So I guess we can wrap up there for you guys listening. Um, please go buy our book, man. We we've done a good job of of highlighting the variants and how people connect with Bitcoin and Ethereum and blockchain technology, and we've taken their quotes and we've transcribed them and put a picture of their face so you can go look them up. If you want to, um, it's called Can You Describe Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Blockchain in 10 Words or Less? Uh, There's a good portion of people in here who don't have the same role anymore. Like, oh, yeah. uh, it, 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 I just noticed that Mao Mao Hu, the chief operating officer of Quora, he's not there anymore. You know, Chris David's not there anymore. Uh, Kelsey Gosseran works for IBM now. Um, so it's, this really is like a snapshot in time of what, you know, I put a date on each book. So, you know, that was their mindset in 2016, you know. Give us one from newer times and one from older times, and then we'll wrap with that. Well, I was like Roger Vares because we asked him to describe Bitcoin core, and he said it's the best form of money the world has ever seen. And obviously, his he's changed, you know, his opinion <laughs> since then. He's changed a little bit since then. A little bit, you know. And then um, uh, let me get a recent one in here. Um. All right, here's a high-level one. So here's Nicholas uh, Firo with uh, Mamir Blockchain Solutions. We asked him to describe blockchain, and he said it is a global computer clock, a synchronous ledger immutable state. So as you can see, there's many different ways. We run the gamut. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's it. We'll leave you guys with that. Uh, TheBitcoinPodcast.com is where you can find our site. There's a section on the site now where you can hit record. It actually literally says hit record and you can record either maybe some sort of testimonial when you leave us. You can ask us a question or you can give us a talking point if you want. If you're not in the Slack and you don't want to join the Slack, I don't know why you wouldn't, but you can go there and you can record your voice and you can upload it to us. And there's a 95% chance we're going to play it on the show. So know that. Um, But just another way to reach out to us. So that's it. You guys want to add anything? Mm, nope. <laughs> that was a long delay. Wayne, okay. you want to add something before we go? No, go. You guys, you guys do such a great job, and that's it. All Thank right. you. Just the headers is coming out soon. All right. Well, yeah. Anyways, play the outro.